I can just start and you just edit this out. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, Andy, you sound knackered. I've just been working all day. I've just, just finished the playroom and, and then I've just uh, been hammering the garden. So, yeah, just trying to get as much stuff done as possible. But just a mountain of fucking work to do in the, in the house. And India got me up at um, quarter past five this morning. So, yeah. Just on a side note, Andy. Day. Wait, wait. But you've been mm-hmm. in the army, right? Yeah. yeah, you've been on exercise. This is just you just got to go back to being, you know, military Andy. You've lost that condition. Well, <laughs> uh, I was going to say, not that I want to raise, you know, highlight. We're getting on for almost twenty years since I left the army, so my body has changed so much since then. <laughs> they can steal your body, so they can't steal your mind. Two thousand and seven. Two thousand and seven. So, all right, we're not quite there yet, but I guess you know, 20 years ago, I was in the of my career in the army. And welcome to the New Age Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White, and with me today, Mr. Martin Theobald. Good evening, good morning, and your microphone worked that time, Andy. Well done. Good. Good, good. Take three. Work. That's unlucky. And Mr. Terry Jeffadama. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the greatest podcast in the history of the sport where, I mean, we just made Canelo a, million, <laughs> made Canelo a millionaire again, and now John Ryder's hit the six numbers in the bonus ball. Yeah, the UK GoFundMe account for Canelo. Oh, man, what a disaster. First podcast that we've this might be the first podcast that not only is it uh, all remote, but um, we're all drinking. Apart from the live shows, of course. Andy, you need a Red Bull. Why do I, do I sound that tired? You sound knackered, man. You sound knackered. <laughs> you need to add like teaspoons of sugar to whatever it is that you're actually drinking. But you know, it, okay. it, 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 it's a mad change, isn't it? If you roll back through the years, and, and actually this is almost like a seventh anniversary show. But if you go back, like we'd record right. like this on a Sunday, right? And like we, we'd have been straggling from all, all the various parts of the planet. Like Martin would have been Mr. Sensible at a, I don't even know what you call them dances. It's not a Kayleigh, that's a Scottish one. But you know, those little Irish <laughs> dance events. Um, it, yeah, I mean, I did our take, but yeah. Yeah, Andy would have been hiding from some Polish woman that works in the slug and lettuce. And then <laughs> God knows what would have happened to me. And now everyone's kind of, I mean, we're, we're drifting into middle age now and everything's quite sensible and we're just getting knackered from, from mundane stuff. Well, yeah. I'll tell you about that. This afternoon, I tried out Morris dancing. So, yeah, nothing changes. <laughs> and we, we, we've, hit, we've hit a new low. In these episodes now, Morris Let me ask you this, Brian. Are you are you a world champion of that? Well, it turns out when your knees are fundamentally like fucked, no, it's very difficult made of, to uh, made of chalk. Morris Johnson. So, so yeah. just to be clear, so, no, I don't know. Go on, Terry. Life choices: yellow and black, Dolce and Gabbana <laughs> number, or Morris dancing. It feels like a Matrix uh, red or blue pill moment, but... Did you um, wear all the little, like, 
streamers off your arms. No, 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 no. Although there were people there with those. Um, <laughs> no, I was at, I was at like, some community yeah. event locally, and there were people Morris dancing, and they asked for volunteers. So I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, so I'm clearly like, alpha, alpha male. Are there any world champion dancers out there? And you're like, well, kind of did win a few feshes back in the day. They're like, well, come on then, step right up. That's why I'm I surprised did. you're not a Morris dancing champion already. I very much work on the basis there's not a style of dance I couldn't complete. <laughs> complete. <laughs> yeah, now I can add Morris dance into that. Nah, it's good, it's good. I wonder, I, I, I had to remind myself it wasn't, you know, Andy stepdad Morris dancing. The I know. <laughs> But just all blokes running around looking like trolls. No, nah, there were people there with sticks and like feathers on them and shit. It was like, yeah, it's a very strange um, medium. God, to do, you, do you sometimes look at stuff like that and go, how the fuck did this country get an empire? I do. And then it was all very on brand for the last like 48 hours of seeing people in golden carriages and yeah. with little hats on and robes and all that kind of stuff and um yeah then just seeing these people like hitting sticks together and, and dancing around so did, you watch, did, did either of you two watch the coronation no and i'm not a minute I'm, of it I, I slept through it but i'm gutted because I, i'm a big proponent of of camilla like people will slate me for saying this i love how camilla just waited it out like this is like us waiting for Fury Joshua, right? She's just waited it out and gone, when it happens, it happens. Do you know what I mean? Like, she didn't get the best years of Charles, but she's like, something's better than nothing. And, you know, there's a lesson in that. No, I she, she, she did get the best years of Charles as well, didn't she? Like, she was getting that, that royal dick but while she, he was with Diana. Yeah, but we don't know if he washed it afterwards and stuff. There's all sorts of questions, aren't there? <laughs> Oh yeah, there's a pertinent question about time. <laughs> you know, I watched the crown. Did, I know what happened. Did he wash his helmet before? Did he wash it afterwards? <laughs> <laughs> we but, but, have to know this information. But, but the crazy thing is, the coronation was one event, right? But there were all of these little subplots, like Harry literally being flown in and out, like he didn't do 36 hours in the UK. Now that might be for tax reasons. I don't know. And then. How he interacted with with some of the relatives. It was like a really awkward wedding, wasn't it? Where you only talk to some relatives and not others. And so we were just watching this happen live in TV. People getting hyped up. But what was the name? That Penny Morden who was just holding the sword. And you're like, that's when you. It's the only thing we do, isn't it? Pointless celebrations, like overblown, unbelievably complicated celebrations, are what we're well, best at. This is where I was going when you, when I said about the coronation. This is where I was going with it because. I'm, I'm watching. I didn't watch it all, but it was on the TV whilst we had the family over. And there's like, and this is the the most personal part of the coronation, when they take the Jerusalem oil, and they put these like three like um, fabric walls around it, and, he, and, he, and and the king will dress down to his like, and just has like a white vest on, and then and they put oil on his head, his chest, his navel, and his hair, and. And then, and then at the end, and then when they start putting the crown, they put the crown, they've got like a, a jeweled sword in his hand, and then a scepter. I just thought to myself, 
you can imagine like 500 years ago, right? Right. When I'm king, I'm going to have a, a gold stick in my left hand because I've got a sword in my right hand. All these blokes just adding bits and bobs to the thing. And do you know what? Actually, actually, stop. What I want is I want oil from Jerusalem splashed on my head, splashed on my navel, splashed on my hands to make sure that I'm the king. <laughs> it just, it's just everyone's final tap, and they're like making up riders. It feels a little bit like that. Like, yeah, why, why an oil from Jerusalem? Well, can I ask you a question? <laughs> Prince Charles had to strip down to his vest. It was like um, it was. I, I can't remember exactly how what they called it, but it looked like uh, he was going to take take part in like a, a fencing duel uh, in the 1700s in France. Did like they make the queen do sort that? Of white. <laughs> she got down to bikini. Yeah, because I wasn't around for that one. So I'm like, what, what, what? they just changed the rules no for idea. Charles. It's gonna probably. How old was she when she got crowned? Because this might. Be bordering on time booth level twenty-seven. Ah, that's all right then. But I worry a bit monstery. But <laughs> now, if we overstep yeah, the mark, was... Billy Joel will give us a call. Don't worry. So speaking of, and to make it semi-boxing related, <laughs> which I realise is the first of the episode, useless pomp and ceremony. <laughs> why did anyone watch the boxer show last night? I think you did, Terry, didn't you? Um, <sighs> why? For the first women's British title fight between an Olympic gold medalist and, as you called her, a PE teacher, why did they run out the national anthem beforehand? <laughs> like, no one wants a national anthem before world title fights. They just get in the way. Why did we need it between Lauren Price and Kirsty Babington? Get in the bin. And, and, like, generally, Welsh people <laughs> don't like, like the national anthem anyway. So I'm like, well, why are we doing this? But what look, the less said about that show, the better. Because and you know this, right? I've been wanting to like what Sky are doing for ages. Right? I've been like, yeah, give them a chance, give them a chance, give them a chance. Saturday, I was like, they fucked it. I was like, yeah, they fucked it. You know. And if you're Eddie Hearn, you're there going, told you, you you guys are there <laughs> getting hyped up about my leftovers. Now look at what you've got. It was so. I mean, I missed the first half of the show. I was tied up doing other stuff. And I turned it on for the Lauren Price, not for the Lauren Price fight, but when the Lauren Price fight was on. Um, by which point, I'd missed Tyler Denny, McCowney McGowan, and I can't remember the fight. But the place was just dead. Like, I know a few people that were there that got comp tickets for it. And um, I've never been to the Resort World Arena in Birmingham, but. Why would you not put Ben Whittaker on before the main event? Why would you put two women in who are always going to go the distance? Like, why not? Because apparently a lot of people left after Ben Whittaker's fight as well. But why not put that on before the main event? It just made no sense. Then that Buatzi fight was absolute garbage, man. Like, I'm bored of it. I'm bo I think I tweeted this. I'm bored of it. The, the shaving the beard, the praying, the telling us how educated and smart you are, yet your career proves that that is anything but true. All of this stuff. I got bored of hearing people tell me this guy was world level. I got bored of people telling me how articulate and well-spoken he is. I get bored of everything about I'm bored of Virgil Hunter, for God's sake. I'm just bored of this guy and his career. It's just got Lerone Richards vibes all over. What's Virgil Hunter added 
to him. I, I don't get it. He just did the same thing for 10 rounds against the guy who wasn't good enough to be in there with him. It was... And yet Sky have paid through the nose for the privilege of doing it. So my question is, one. in what room was Ben Shalom sat there? Go, yeah, this Boatsy guy's a good idea. Yeah, but we got Dan Aziz. No, 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 this Boatsy guy's a good idea. No, we got Dan Aziz. Dan Aziz is entertained in every fight he's had on Sky. That's our guy for light, lightweight, light heavyweight, sorry. No, no, but we got this guy, Joshua Boatsy. Yeah, but what's he done on the other channel? Ah, good question. Not much. Has he tried to fight they, anyone? They, they took liberties with him afterwards as well. In that interview by the ring afterward, they got Aziz and Buatsi together. And they essentially framed it as Buatsi would fight Aziz as like a, a stay busy fight until something else was available. I thought, what? <laughs> Aziz I... has done stuff far more relevant than Buatsi in his career. I and is more active and is more relevant right now. I, nah. I can't believe nah. the disrespect that's thrown at Dan. I, I really can't believe the disrespect because you get Dan out there and Dan's talking and Dan's keeping money in the fight when he's talking. He's like, yeah, me and Josh were friends, but you know, for business, we can get it on. And then Josh is there like, yeah, I'm the best. And he's shitting on Dan. He's putting no money into Dan. Yeah. And I, so and I was watching that going, clear. if I was Dan, I'd just go to the zone. Screw it. Because Hearn wouldn't allow that to happen. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, overall, they must have, as they entered, I don't know, the seventh, the eighth, and ninth round of that fight, Shalom must have been sat there ringside thinking, what have I signed? <laughs> you're so far ahead in this fight and you're willing to take no risks. You're willing to make no adjustments. And people are literally leaving the arena what have I done? Like, from what I hear, a few stories, that Sky aren't looking to sign any more fighters particularly now. So you're kind of putting your eggs in the Buatzi and Akoli basket, which based on the performances, the debuts on the channel of both, you're going to turn a lot of people off. But at least with Lawrence, Why like, does... Lawrence is, and I hate saying he's a good talker because that doesn't mean anything, but Lawrence will stop people. And Lawrence understands how the business works, right? They asked him about Chris Binsmith and they needled him. And Lawrence bit just enough that people go, okay, he's yeah. locked in for this. But not too much that he's poo-pooing what Chris Binsmith has done. All that he did with that Chris Binsmith stuff was just pull a couple of like relevant threads of being around the gym and the amount of times they sparred and there's no version of him that can be. He just, he kind of dug a little bit, but didn't, call him rubbish essentially which is kind of where they went with Boatsy and Aziz it was, um, but yeah there's a debut performance on the channel for both awful to watch frankly Parish Council Andy, you're say something. well I was going to ask why are broadcasters persevering with boxing but well, there's other sports that broadcasters just go oh well we can't compete or we can't you know it's not worth it when there's the, the amount of Oh, is the, is the boxing market that that lucrative? It's so spread out. All the boxes are so spread out across different platforms. You just thought one of them would just go, you know what, I'm out. But here's a crazy thing. People love to see other people fight, right? So if you look at that Sky roster, how many people watch the eight ball pool? No one really. You know, so what does Sky really do its numbers on? Probably does its numbers on football. 
maybe the darts in a good year. And then you're really scratching around, aren't you? Like, what else does numbers for Sky? You need boxing. Otherwise, you've got this big content oh, I... estate that you can't sell advertising on because you're not getting numbers. Whereas, you know, for your boxing shows, like even, even that trash on, on Sky the other night, you'd still get about 100,000 viewers on that because there's, there's nothing else to do. Yeah. It, it feels like sometimes it's, it's worth just gambling on the smaller nights in the hope that eventually you'll get, you'll pick up a pay-per-view and that, that will sort of, that will somehow pay for the 20 Friday or Saturday nights that you've paid for. Because if you do a review... I mean, they've also, Sky have, Sky have made this weird model as well where they seem to be partnering up with like some random Polish promoter and some bloke in France is putting on a show um, and then just shipping their people off there. Which I think Terry always used the term like you need to build local constituents for fights. So Dan Aziz, you need to have in London. Buatzi, they signed Buatzi for however much money. Buatzi, a London lad, born and bred. Where do you debut him? Birmingham. <laughs> Why? Why have you done that? Because Buatzi doesn't sell. Uh, this, this is... I get that, but he's never going to sell in Birmingham. He well, might sell in LA. LA. He's like he doesn't sell, so we'll have it on the moon. Like, yeah. Just, yeah, he, 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 give him every, give him every chance for God's sake. He, he doesn't sell, and th- th- this is why I give Dan Aziz credit because Dan has done everything he can to cut through, right? And I, and I always talk in these terms of you'll still see Dan Aziz at amateur shows. You'll still see Dan pop up at random clubs and gyms with his belts and stuff. Dan will still do stuff that cuts through, right? Josh doesn't. Like he said, yeah, I'm off to the States in two weeks. Yeah. He, yeah. he, he's become our Katie Taylor. Where he's taking yeah, and not side, giving. Terry, he, is, he is polite and God-fearing, so he's got that on his side. And God, God can probably buy a lot of tickets. I find it interesting that he hasn't had a Gillette sponsorship yet. <laughs> Andy, where are you at with your your love of boxing at the moment? Uh, don't be too enthusiastic. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to uh, just drift into in hyperbole immediately. But I just, I just, I, I don't like it. I feel like I'm sort of. I mean. I'm in, I'm in a strop with it at the moment. That's what it feels like. I've had a big argument with it, and we haven't made up yet. It's like it, when at the peak of my boxing interest, um, the heavyweight scene was, to use a tired metaphor, marinate. Um, but it was, it was sort of there was the hope that we were going to see something big from from the division. Um, Followed by there was you know the Canelo uh, Triple G thing was happening in the background and there was like fights popping up here and there. You thought, oh, that's interesting. Um, and it, it just it all seems to have. I just don't. I'm it, uh, everyone that he's either taking. Well, I just I don't see the personalities that I can that I'm interested in, and I don't see the fights that I'm interested in, and that sort of. The, the more that happens, it's like a, a negative feedback loop. The the less I see interesting fighters having interesting fights, 
the less I'm engaged, the less I'd even know if there was a fight that I was interested in because I've not just kept in touch with it. What was the last? What was the last live show you watched? Oh, my first answer is I can't remember, but if I think hard, it probably would have been. Uh, I can't. What was Fury's last fight? Not the last fight because I didn't watch that. I don't think the fight before that. I didn't watch the Chisora. I refused to watch that. White? <coughs> did, he, did he fight White? No, no, I didn't watch that either. So we're going right, back to 2021. I, 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 yeah, I, I, yeah, probably over a year ago. I mean, wow. right, to, to, to some degree, you know, baby, house stuff, and all that sort of has maybe just taken my focus of a lot of things and whatever, but no, I'm just not... No, but, that's, but that's a valid point. For, for listeners that won't know, you've had a baby since we last recorded. Not you, your missus, but um, not gone full Connor Ben. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know, so many times uh, I had a baby. Yeah, but you've had a baby since we last recorded. And, you know, that's reflective then, that as a parent, your time is more and more precious and you're less willing yeah. to give it to stuff that doesn't give you something back. If you felt boxing gave you something back and was important enough, you'd have made time for it. And you Absolutely. Haven't. Like, if I, sat, if I sit in front of TV uh, of an evening, generally, Michaela's going to bed at sort of like nine o'clock because she's going to be getting up soon to feed baby, to, you know, and she's going to be up at sort of five, six a.m. Or, or, or I am, but the point is she'll go to bed sort of early. I've there, I'll then sort of, sacrifice my sleep time in order to have some like TV time of my own or whatever and if there's a fight night on I see and I don't well if there's a fight night on let's put it this way it's 90% 95% chance that I won't turn on to watch it because not uh, what porn exists no <laughs> Look, and the thing is Andy, two hours to myself five you... minutes on the fight night <laughs> just am a porn hub for two hours yeah. Yeah, but you're spot on though, Andy. And, he, and I think as as we're all getting older, like as we said off air, we're seven years into this now. It is debilitating, right? You go from, you know, and we can drift into how we revolutionise this whole thing, but that might, that might bring that in later. The whole point is we're, we're <laughs> gradually running out of time for stuff that doesn't work for us. Me having to watch a show in Birmingham that essentially looked like it was full of kids, right? Who didn't really have the foggiest about boxing. Because we've watched enough events to know how the crowd should react in certain situations. And this one, it was like, it was counterintuitive. They were screaming for stuff that didn't make sense. And so that even impacts how you're watching it. Because I'm like, this is nonsense. Like, I can't even feel a connection with the fans right now. And... I do. Like, if I if I didn't record regularly, I wouldn't watch boxing. I'd just coach amateurs. I wouldn't watch the pro stuff. I could never understand why people in the amateurs didn't bother with the pros until recently. And I'm like, we we were treated to maybe the worst card of boxing I've seen in a long time. The absolute worst, right? We had an Olympic bronze medalist against maybe the sixth best light heavyweight in Poland. We had. I love the fact that I said I was sat 
sat watching it thinking, well done to, to Sky. If nothing else, you won the race to get Pavel Stepinek, whatever his name was. Because they tried to lure him in for Callum Smith, didn't they? Then Callum Smith got injured. Kind of. Um, yeah, like this guy was clearly, he's like 32 years old, 16 wins, never fought outside of Poland, undefeated. <laughs> This is going to be shite. And it was. Terrible. Olympic gold medalist against a PE teacher. And Kirsty Babington is actually a PE teacher. So I wasn't taking the piss when I said that. But that's someone who's got to go and teach on Tuesday. The simple fact. She's got to go and teach on Tuesday. And we've got to watch that. And then we've got Ben Whittaker, who essentially they've bet the house on, right? They've bet the house on the fact that Ben Whittaker is a real deal. And... I think if you go back to the genesis of New Age, that was one of the first names I ever mentioned on the microphone was Ben Whitaker, And I said, I think there's something special about the kid. And I do. But he's, what, that's his third fight? Um, yeah. And he had more fights than Moses Atalma. Yeah, and he had a long time out with that injury. Which is always a worry. And I told you, I like the kid. But if you're getting injured when you're this young, it's a real worry about you know how how much is left in the tank, and then you've got Tyler Denny versus Macaulay McGowan. Macaulay McGowan is that his name? I don't know. That's a, that's a small hall show. That that should happen at the Victoria Warehouse on a Friday night somewhere. You know, people out there celebrating yeah. stag do's and hen do's. And then I don't know what was below that, but it was just trash. Just trash. Joel McIntyre getting rolled out for about a four hundredth time against. Shakan Pitters, like two people who they both had their chances. Do you know what I mean? Like you don't need them anywhere near. Well, anything domestically, to be honest. Shakan maybe a little bit, but you know Joel's been recycled as an opponent time and time again. I know Joel, I like Joel, but he doesn't need to be in the away corner against people that should be doing better. And this is and it's heartbreaking because, like, deep down, we're, we're passionate fans of the sport. So no one likes having to tear down a card, but that card didn't need to happen. It's a coronation weekend. This is the one time where you're like, we should have some eyes on us. And that's the crap you served up. And it was crap. And that's the sort of thing I'd stand in front of whoever it was at Sky and I'd say, that was dog shit. And then I look at the rest of the roster and I go, what am I getting excited about? I don't know. Have you still got Joseph Parker? Have you not got Joseph Parker? Oh, I've got Huey Hopefully Fury not. to come next month. Woo! And you're still trying to recycle Savannah Marshall. Who's he fighting? Who's he fighting? Who's he fighting? I don't know. <laughs> I forgot him. Some Latvian zombie or something. Oh, but we'll be told... It's fine because we'll be told that he's solved all his health problems and now he can hit harder than ever. Oh. I just... Look... I, <laughs> The last time Huey Fury fought was probably when we last recorded. I can't remember the last time that I watched a boxer fight poorly, then had then was then made an excuse about you know what had gone wrong, and then came back and actually fought like really well. Perhaps, perhaps it was Deontay Wilder, but still lost. Like you've got. David Hay, you know, absolutely just, I don't know what to call it, just capitulating again in his two fights. Um, he fell apart, literally. <laughs> oh, good God. 
useless, utterly useless. Um, yeah, and Huey Fury just, yeah, I mean, Wilder obviously got pilloried for his crap excuses. And then yeah, Huey Fury, it's like, we all know that Huey Fury is like Tyson Fury, but like had his soul pulled out of him or something. His boxing soul. If you ordered him from Wish. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but this guy's got this guy's got no. He's like a rock and sock and robot. Or, or he's got one. He's got one move. Is his like sort of standing sideways on, but they can't generate any power when he punches. Just uh, what do you say it. about that? That boxers who kind of you know they talk up their game before they return. This is the problem with Buatzi from last night, right? He, the most interesting thing Buatzi did with his career was the press conference when he joined Sky. And he spent his time just trying to bury the zone, which was a pretty daft move because he might need them again one day. Um, but he sat in this press conference talking about, you know, I was fed up with people asking me, oh, Josh, when are you fighting again? And, you know, I was fighting on Saturday night, but they didn't know because I was on this the zone platform. So they never got the, the reach and the exposure. Um, so people weren't aware that I was fighting. Sadly, and we now, are now. Yeah, and now I absolutely want to know when you're fighting, Josh, so that I can turn the fucking channel over. Go back because, to the app. Yeah, based on what we've seen, and, you know, you gave it all big nuts before the fight, why would anybody want to invest their time, effort, energy into watching you walk another Polish builder around for 10 rounds? Oh. Like, get anything. And and this is why I rate Akoli, right? I know, I know, because I know people cry about Akoli and they go, "Oh my God, he's awful." But the thing with Lawrence is, you've never heard him swerve. Like he's never swerved. He's never delayed. He doesn't need ten extra weeks in camp. He doesn't need to go. If you say to Lawrence, "You're fighting in four weeks," Lawrence will fight in four weeks. Yeah, we need more of that. Yeah, no, I agree. And then you go back to that Buatzi at matchroom stuff, and he was. <laughs> <laughs> what did he turn down? One point something million for Bivol. Um, because they were insisting that if you won, you'd have to stay with Matchroom. And he's like, no, I don't want to do it. As if options in boxing is like a new thing that's only applied to Joshua Boatzi's career. Um, but why was he bothered about it? You're never going to beat Bivol. Like, you know, they could have offered you a fucking Rolex, 40,000 fights at a million pound each. Doesn't matter completely irrelevant. You were never going to beat Bivol. Why are you crying about that? <laughs> these guys just want stuff they haven't earned. That's the harsh reality of boxing right now. A lot of these, these little rats just want stuff they haven't earned. Right? Um, and this is why, and I, I'll stand on this, this is why we have to respect guys like Dan Aziz, Denzel Bentley, and there are others. I won't put Linus in there as well. You know guys who really cut their teeth having two sell tickets? having to fight on small yeah. hall shows, you know, having to deal with all of that sort of stuff. And through doing that and building a profile and earning respect, they got elevated to TV cards. We need more of that again. We need to stop signing these Olympians. Like, the, the Olympic experiment's been a massive failure. If you line up all the Brits we've had who have been to the Olympics, it's actually been a bit of a failure in terms of predicting who would actually go on to, to do great things. Here's a question for you both. If you had to name the top five boxers in the world right now of any weight, 
who would it be? And I, and, and and let's just say um, uh, some sort of fusion between watchability and boxing skill. Right. So not necessarily asking like a pound for pound, but no, I'm not really if you could pick more, five yeah. boxers to like if you were picking five boxers for a supercard for the home corner, who yeah. would they be? Yeah. Right, headline in line of Judofia. Objective, <laughs> like it. <laughs> uh, well, it's going to be wilder, isn't it? Like, if you're talking that mixture between box office and entertainment and personality, Wilder's still the man. 100%. Right, so you don't, have to, you don't have to think about who's fighting, just the, just the home fighter, if you like. Right. You pick Wilder, are you picking Judofia? No. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> you are picking easy one. I'd just put it on there. Right, Wilder, who else? Eubank Jr. Yeah. <sighs> Canelo? Did you put Canelo in there? I don't know because, like, Canelo fought a Brit last night and I've still not bothered to go back and watch it because I knew what the outcome would be and then the outcome happened. Um put in there? Yeah, I mean, it's as daft as it sounds, but if we're talking that mixture between boxing ability and box office, Canelo, his lack of English holds him back, in my view. Trying to think. Um, Let's see. Would you you put Fury in? Yeah. It's just going to be a lot of heavyweights, isn't it? And minus. (laughs) (laughs) I'll put put Huey Fury down for you, Martin. No worries. Huey Fury. Tommy Fury. <laughs> Tommy Fury. And um, if you really want size from Syria. Okay, so one more. Give me one more. Um, who do I enjoy? I'll shove Ben Whitaker on. Okay. So my my question as a result of that, and uh, Terry, your answer, my, my question was, what what would out of uh, five years ago what would your answers have been would they you know out of those boxers would they have been the same and I would argue three of them would have been <laughs> yeah. Wilder Eubank Jr and Fury and Adolfia that's uh, yeah probably yeah uh, and that's part of my frustration with boxing as well like I've I mean yeah. alright we don't do the pod anymore on a regular basis and we don't sit and, and, and I don't you know, I get a lot of my information from you guys through just osmosis of you talking about random boxes here. And, but it's my frustration is that I haven't heard you guys talking about a really sensationally, sensationally exciting boxer coming through. Just, I haven't. Yeah, so, I mean, even, to be fair, like, if I sat and thought about it a bit more, I'd be putting the likes of Tank Davis in there. Because, you know, he's exciting to watch. He can talk well. Um he knows how to drive an audience. But even he was around five years ago. We went to go and watch him at the Copper Box, Andy. Um, who else is coming through? Shakur Stevenson. We don't kind of know enough about him yet. And that, you know, people say that about Ben Whitaker, but that's purely with a, a British sort of slant on it. Um, so, yes, there isn't like a worldwide superstar, in my view, that's come through. No, and and I think one of the problems we've had, and and, and this should frustrate a lot of fans, a lot of these belts have been tied up for so damn long, we haven't had a chance. So let's take welterweight. We know that Virgil Ortiz and Jerome Ennis should be up there. 
they they should be holding belts now. But because people are so fixated with the undisputed fight at 147, we haven't had those opportunities for them yet. Because Ennis, I, I think Ennis is as close to a nailed-on prospect as you can think of. But until he gets that world title shot against a meaningful opponent, we can't put him in that list yet. True. True. And the fact that I didn't even consider Terence Crawford or Errol Spence tells you how far off the radar they've probably fallen. In terms of if they're not, it almost feels like Usyk and Fury. Like if those two don't fight each other, I couldn't give a shit who they're fighting. Like yeah. as fans, we should have a an objective view that says unless you're making the most obvious fight that can possibly be made, then why should we care? So if Crawford and yeah. Spence don't make that, and one of them goes and fights. I don't know, David Avenesian again. Why should we care? We shouldn't. And we should, like, actively object to it as well, not just not care. 100%. Also, for the record, if you can't, if you, if you can't make a fight, I, like, I literally don't, don't care about the reasoning. I don't care that it was yeah. like, oh, it couldn't work with the figures or anything like that. Don't try it. It's, it's literally, the best thing you can do is probably apologise because there's no point in you trying to justify why you haven't made the fight because I just don't care. I want to fight. You haven't made it. You have failed. The first hurdle, you know, make the fight. Second <clears> hurdle, promote the fight. Third hurdle, have a make a good fight in the actual ring. You failed at the first fucking hurdle. Like, there's, there's no credit to glean from, well, yeah, he wanted a certain percentage, and I stood up, well, good for you. Good for you. I'm glad you stood up for your percentages, mate. Just fucking get in the bin. But think about it, right? We're in, we're in May, and they've had to go to Saudi now to negotiate a fight for December. Yeah. Like, it's got to start uh. now, and none of us are confident they will agree to the terms by December. No. If I took all the all the months that you take that in your life that you've been anticipating fights, you, you probably since 2017. There's probably about three years mm. in there, maybe more. But I, Andy, what you're saying there about people not making fights and you don't care why they didn't. You go back to that Usyk Fury scenario where they were openly talking about making a fight and then they didn't make a fight, like. <laughs> Do you ever think maybe you're not worth as much money as you think you are? And yeah, like it's almost the Dillian White effect that Hearn always used to tell us that you know Dillian White he has to be on pay per view because that's the only way that he can be paid the money that he deserves. And then he gets to world level and he gets fucking ironed out by Tyson Fury. <laughs> well, how about Eddie? How about the idea that he was never worth the money that you were telling us he was worth, that, that yeah. you kept promising it to him, and therefore it perpetuated this ridiculous idea he had to be a pay-per-view fighter before the day he was ever a pay-per-view fighter? This is the board's fault. <sighs> I don't care what anyone says. This is the board's fault. The board could sit there and go, so you want this to be pay-per-view, and they could do a quality control assessment and go, why is this pay-per-view? What about this card makes it pay-per-view? Instead, you can... Look, Hearn can just come out and go, yeah, we're going to do a pay-per-view card and it's going to have Anthony Joshua on it. Nothing else. We're going to, yeah, we're going to, we're going to release tickets. We're going to do all of this stuff and we're going to tell you who's on the card. Like, even in, like, with a week to go, we'll still be finalizing stuff. No. Put the card out there. Let the board go, this is pay-per-view or not. And the board should be custodians of this. This is what should happen. 
because every other sport would do it that yeah. way. Yep. And, and, and so the board have dropped the, the Jesus. They've dropped the ball on so many things, and we can come on to those later. But that's the one they can fix. Let's have very simple rules. Well, no, would they? I mean, if you rolled it back, do you remember when Sky rolled out pay per view football <laughs> all those years ago? Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that wasn't the FA's directive, I suspect. That would have been Sky's. And then they suddenly realise people aren't really that willing to pay £10 to watch Man United West Ham. Sorry, Andy, you're losing, by the way, sir. Yeah, I'm well aware. Thank you, I wouldn't be paying. At least, at least they learned their lesson. Whereas, I don't know, is it that boxing fans are so depraved that we will end up with enough people willing to pay 20 quid to watch... Uh, I I don't think it was necessary that they... Because remember that Santa came on the scene and suddenly Sky sort of... Because Sky had a monopoly on the football at that point, didn't they? You, you can't say Santa without referencing Steve Bunner. Brothers. The brothers. <laughs> the, the brothers. Um, you know, iCarly can come again. Jade can't. <laughs> Steve Buzz, Mr. Black History uh, Month. Oh... Uh, Steve Bud's the man who interviewed Carl Frampton and met, mentioned about the Mexican that got cut up and found in the back of a van that he once fought. Oh my god! <laughs> that man has had so many really sort of like fine disintegrating gaps. It just what was the one like... he did not that long back? Who was it? Um, Gilet Zhang. Oh, what is it he said during that fight? It was absolutely mental. Of course it was mental. Um, he said something about, oh, you know, we've called him Big Bang. We've taken him to the Chinese. All these other, um, like, borderline racist stuff that we've done. Fuck <laughs> oh, me. Joe, you know, when you talk like this, you like, the, the sport is a mess. Like, it's... It, how yeah. the hell this is still going is beyond me. I guess it's just because it's a great place where where money can appear to be clean in no time at all. And let's, let's not pretend otherwise. And I think I said this before. What boxing really misses is MTK. Right? That's what boxing misses. Have they gone away? Um, as, as a central point of, like, you know what I mean? Because remember, like, you had, you had Eddie and you had Frank, right? And they kind of hoovered up stuff that they thought we'd be interested in. And then everything else was kind of just left to MTK to divvy up wherever it needed to go to, right? But we knew that if there was an MTK show, it'd be all right. It'd be on YouTube. We'd be good, yeah? Now now it's all TM14. It's let's go this. It's backflip that. It's, I don't even know, <laughs> cooking with gas over here. It's all of this <laughs> other stuff. And I'm like, Guys, can you just rebrand as something else? Like, I liked it when it was just one thing I could focus on and go, right, that lot there, cleaning up whatever they've got to clean up, have done a good thing for boxing because they've made sure people get paid. Thank you. That was it. That's all we wanted. And then people were celebrating that they were gone. And I was just like, ah, I think we're going to regret this. And sure enough, we have. Because now... <laughs> the... Yeah. Yeah, I don't... There was certain shows... There were certain shows oh, that you watch, right? I won't cite any, but there was one particularly recent one. Might have happened on Friday. <laughs> well, you sit and watch it and you're like, 
this just looks like a panorama get together, like a panorama reunion. Like all the same faces that the BBC rolled out for that, where they investigated the Kinnahans, they're all back on. Welcome back. Um, I just think <laughs> Nothing I, to see. I'm not convinced. Yeah, I'm not convinced this has ever gone away. Um, but what I find a little bit, and I don't know, I don't know what the term is, but. If you accept everything stopped, if you absolutely accept face value, everything stopped MTK based, then it's almost like taking PEDs that those people that took the PEDs in the first instance are still at an advantage to those that never took them at all. You know, it might be a year on, yeah. might be two years on. They're still yeah. getting that advantage. So people that never took the money from, you know, wherever whatever means it may have come from, those people that never took it are always going to be disadvantaged from those that did because those that did got that that boost at the time. Yeah. That's never gone away. And so you see people around that you're like, okay, well, if we accept Kinahan is no longer involved, if we accept there's no dirty money, you're still doing far better than you probably by rights ever should have because of the advantages you got as part of it. And, Going back to one of your points earlier, Terry, I blame the board. I blame the board entirely because what have they ever done? And now it's all just like that money has dispersed itself around the sport. They've never taken any sanctions. The US government, I stand by, has still taken more sanctions over British boxing than the British Boxing Board of Control did about the whole situation. It's a fucking dreadful situation. Terry, anyway, said earlier, he said... Uh... What I used to like was, and then went on to talk about MTK and what, but that's, that's just it. It seems to have been like whatever a, a consumer of boxing content likes, boxing seems to go hell for leather at slowly deconstructing everything that might appeal to the fan base, competitive fights, everything being in one place. Like you would have thought that on face value, the more places to watch boxing, the more that would increase the competition, the more that would then drive good cards. All I think to do is like dilute it. It seems to be like the more places there are to show boxing, it means there's more stables, which means it's impossible to make those good fights, which means, I mean... Well, yeah, and the, the, the point Terry was making was about MTK had kind of conglomerated everything underneath the headline. Um, and then it all got dispersed. Now, that's not boxing's fault. That's the fault of people that were using money from very illicit means. <laughs> that's the US government stepping in at that point. Like, you know, that's you know not what? the sport breaking the tub. One thing I would like to see, though, and maybe we could we could find a way to stream this. Let's pick a fight, for example. Let's just say Joshua versus Wilder. They should have 12 hours in a room together to negotiate that fight, right? So both parties put in a million quid, and you don't get that million quid back unless you negotiate the fight in 12 hours. And we should just have cameras in that room, and we all just sit there and watch. And then let's find out. We only need to do this once ever. And let's find out how hard it really is to negotiate a fight. Because I don't believe it's as hard as people are making out. I just don't believe it is. I completely agree. I, I tweeted something not that long back about the same principle of, I don't even think you need 12 hours. Just give them three hours. And all you've got to come out with is the terms of agreement. 
whereby, you know, these are the things we won't agree right now, today, like which glove brand and the, the inconsequential things. But these are the things we will agree. If there's £10 million in the pot, this is a percentage split. If there's 15 this is a percentage split. Like, I would rather watch that on Sky Sports than I would Joshua Boatsy. A hundred percent. And like, I'd love to sit and see Hearn and, I don't know, Heyman or Aaron or whoever's required sit and work these things out. Yeah, because we always get, how can I put it? They always bluff us with these complexities. Like, well, look, there were, there were those rights in Myanmar that we had to negotiate because, like, the 23 people that were going to watch it there, obviously we need to make sure we capture the revenue for that because every penny counts, <laughs> right? That's really, that's the sort of nonsense that it, it sort of delves down to. And you're like, well, no, right? How about he, he gets that much money, he gets that much money, you, you guys just fight. Do it in a damn car park, for God's sake. How much more money do you need? I agree. On this note, by the way, I know in the past we've kind of said about it's almost hidden and uh, how much fighters earn out of out of boxing. And so when you do get that little glimpse out of it, it's quite interesting. And I think we saw that with White Fury when it went to purse bid, didn't we? And um, it was the highest ever purse bid amount. Did you see the amount for Arthur Baturbi of Callum Smith? It was a fraction of that. It was like a couple of mil. $1.3 million. For, what's that? I don't know which light heavyweight titles Baturbiev holds. It WBC, IBF, and something else maybe, WBO. Um, yeah. Bivol's got the WBA, hasn't he? Yeah. But, yeah, that's like, Hearn always talks about making millionaires. That's the biggest fight available for Callum Smith anywhere in the world right now. And he would be getting the shorter end of 1.3 million dollars like I there's not the money that they make out at the top end of boxing I'm convinced of it 100% like you still see Chisora fighting how many times has Derek been on pay-per-view he's still fighting <clears throat> and I don't even think he's fighting to to stash a nest egg away he's fighting because there's stuff he's got to pay off he's so CT ridden he can't stop yeah, but with nor can Danny Williams. That's an even bigger concern. Yeah, wasn't his last one advertised his last fight? But I've lost track of how many last fights he's had now. No, he fought not long ago. A few weeks ago, he fought. I think yeah, he won. He fought the O2, didn't he? Then he fought out in Germany, maybe, or something like that. Like Estonia. Yeah. Like, you know, right. he, he's now he's now just down to the, the, the outer, like the tier three EU nations now. They're the only ones that are letting him in. <laughs> Even Latvia are like, nah, Danny, Danny, you failed our mate. very, very dubious medical requirements. Belarus, mate, that's and it. And they fucking But this is a mess, right? Like, when, when we talk about it like this, we're like, the sport's an absolute disaster. Think about this, right? You watch football, and you've got Erling Haaland making miracles happen in the Premier League, right? You've got him. Um, you've got the kid Anthony doing 360-degree dribbles. You've got all of this stuff. And even, even the stuff that ain't going well. You've got Frank Lampard proving he might be quite possibly the worst player to become a manager since Brian Robson. You've got all of this stuff happening. 
and it's intrigue that just moves the sport forward, right? Because nothing can really hold football yeah. back. Boxing, we talk about the stuff that holds the sport back. We're all here arguing over purse splits. You know, you see it online. Yeah, well, he deserves this much money. Shut the fuck up, man. Stay out of it. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Like, I think I described in one of my pods as it's girlfriend behavior, isn't it? That's what it is. It's, yeah. it's, it's girlfriend behavior. Just, just stay out of it, right? Just as fans, we just care about this. Is the contract signed? Yes or no? That's all. Are you really fighting men? Yes or no? Because certain people talked about being fighting men and they get found wanting. Because like I said, those Dubai taxes, they're not cheap. I agree. We're going back to that Baturbi of Smith issue. Again, if that's the very, very top end, that's the most lucrative fight. That's a top-ranked fighter and a matchroom fighter. They are you know, the A standard of light heavyweights. $1.3 million to be split between the two of them. Then think about how that trickles down through the sport. If that's the top tier, what's going on below that? You know, these are short careers. They're, you know, 10-year careers, of which at the moment, most are fighting twice. That's not sustainable. That's not, it's not attractive to, like, if you're a top-level athlete. I know we used to discuss this back in the day, but if you're a top-level athlete in America, why would you choose boxing? when you can find a more steady income through American football, through basketball, through whatever else it may be. Just see, once you put those numbers in perspective, I was, I was trying to run through in my head what fights in this country could do one and a half million quid today. Um, cool. Or Riakpo, I think, could. Um, what do you reckon a Cody Billum Smith would be generating? Uh, what's the capacity of Dean Court? Is it Dean Court? Is that that's the vitality now? God, there you go. There, that, that's me being old, calling it Dean Court. <laughs> that's your football knowledge, Terry. Don't dare people question your football knowledge. No, never. I mean, like, I played football manager too many years, man. I'm, I'm deep. Do you know what I mean? I am deep. I, I'm. I go deep to when like Danny Murphy was all 19s on football manager, and then like one for technique, or was it one for stamina? <laughs> The weirdest assessment <clears throat> of a player. You're going back to the old, you're going back to the old champ man of where there's forward, right, left, centre. Daniel Fonseca at Roma. Legend. But I'm trying to think. So so let's just say that that pulls in in total. Ah, just being generous. We'll just even say a mil. And then you've got to take yeah. all the costs because, you know I mean, that, that Sky Machine, that's a lot of hotel rooms, that's a lot of per diems. So you got to take that out. I think those guys will get a six-figure sum, but it's not going to be a healthy six-figure sum. It might be the low end of a six-figure sum because everyone's going to eat off that. Yeah, which sounds great, doesn't it? Say, <clears throat> say being generous, it's 200 grand. Yeah. Then you lose 10% to your promoter. You lose 20% to your manager. You lose 10% to your trainer. Right, already you've just got rid of, what, 80 grand out of that? <clears throat> you're going home with 120 grand. Don't you know? No, don't you get taxed on the gross as well? You don't get taxed on what you take home. I'd imagine so. Yeah, that's your your earning, isn't it? Whether you have to pay anyone else is irrelevant. Yeah. Um, so say 120 of which you're then taking home. <laughs> what well, out of that? If you're lucky, you're taking home 100, which sounds great. But you're doing it twice a year. That's your biggest payday in your career to date. And you've got a 10-year career. Like, that money isn't going to go that far. 
and you're the the pinnacle of your sport. It's, yeah, and yet, I you know we blame the board for various things. I just blame every money grabbing parasite within the sport at this point that there are too many egos, too many people not willing to help grow the entirety of the sport and therefore you lose interest. You lose people like Andy that hasn't watched a live boxing event in 12 months because everybody was too busy feathering their own nest out of it. Do you know, like, one of the benefits of our position is we sometimes get to hear what some of the purses are for certain fights that people watch. Don't yep. be surprised if you watch the British title fight that cost 25 grand for both fighters. Do not be surprised at all. That's that's the that's the game we're playing here. Like it's ridiculous. Some of the money that's being offered is derisory. And you yet I could go back I could go back a fair few years. Um when boxing was in a more lucrative point and going for a purple patch, you were getting, you know, certain fighters that would be signed for British title fights. So a British fighter level, you probably know I'm on about to some degree. Terry, you probably do. Um, I know they'd be getting 200 grand for British title defence. Get yourself a Steve Goodwin, guys. Get yourself a Steve Goodwin. But... You know, that doesn't happen now. It, I, I'd be very, very, very surprised if it did. It, well, because the, the pool of available talent has broadened so much without the quality actually increasing, you're now just going, well, we can put anyone in for this British title fight. So if you don't want to do it, cool. You'll just get moved to the side. You know, I always look at the decline of Lerone Richards as an example. And I know behind the scenes people talk about he's quite difficult to deal with in the sense that he's alienated a lot of people in the sport. Fair enough, but... For a lad to have been a pro for 10 years and fought 16 times and, and never really made a payday, that's heartbreaking. That's heart-wrenching, in fact. That's the word I use, heart-wrenching, to know that you've dedicated your life to the sport and like you, you literally can't buy a house in Pontefract with your earnings. Yeah, well, if you entrust your career to a fucking bunch of clowns, then that's what you get. <laughs> And too many people. Hi, Shane Watson. Oh, my. Hi, Shane. <laughs> Man, I, <laughs> we don't need to beat around the bush, do we? Like, that whole S-Jam setup, Adam Morley, you know, I don't know how much time he spends in his legal capacity, how much time he spends in his Oldham football capacity, how much time he spends in his S-Jam capacity. Um uh, the legal side defending Daniel Kinahan, the Oldham side fucking up a football club, the football side, also the boxing side, fucking up Lorraine Richards' career. So why would you entrust yourself to that? Do you know what? Like, we, we know, because these, these guys... You know what? I was coaching some kids today, right? And I'm just trying to get them to throw one-twos, Martin. And they're looking at me confused. And all I could say to them was, which one of you fuckers has a brain cell today? Because I'm confused. <laughs> I'm confused as hell right now. Uh, I've asked you to make two movements, just two. Like, I can loan you a brain cell. And a lot of boxers are like that, right? You show up in a suit with um, your, your AliExpress Rolex on, and they buy into anything you tell them, right? They have no idea. I tell all of these little bastards, I say to them, listen to me. Find yourself a manager who doesn't need your money. 
and you tell me your career doesn't go through the roof. Yeah? Yep. That's what you need. A guy who's like, I already have money. I don't need your money. I'm guiding your career. You'll go or the alternative is someone who's desperate for money. And I don't mean like to thieve you of it, but someone who's driven by the more money you earn, the more money I'll earn. Yeah. Which the problem is in boxing, it's so full of absolute scumbags that eventually they will end up just ripping you off anyway. That's what I've never understood because and we've said it to the fans before. Every fight has a budget attached to it, right? And it's like, look, here's 50 grand to make this fight. If you can go and make it for 30 grand, then you got yourself 20 grand. And they're unscrupulous people who do that. Just skim that 20k off the top. Yep. Um, speaking of quality of fight, <clears throat> our old pal Sam Fairhurst, shout hey. out Sam, has asked Thresha Shields card in Detroit next month. Is it worth a look or no? Terry can answer that while I grab a beer. <laughs> Thanks. Right. How do we describe Clarissa Shields? I'm supposed to believe that Clarissa Shields and Savannah Marshall sold out the O2 last year, and now Clarissa Shields has to go and fight in Detroit. Um, right, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and Savannah Marshall has to undercard a show in June. So, who was generating the interest? Because it doesn't seem that that interest last year was real. It feels manufactured because I remember that fight last year. And I was getting texts from people going, yeah, I'm going to this Clarissa Shields, Savannah Marshall fight. I was like, how did you get there? So like, yeah, Sky was just giving out tickets to people. Yeah. So I think about, yeah. about two thirds of those people were comped for that night. And it shows, right? Because Clarissa Shields oh, can't yeah. do pay-per-view. She can't sell out an arena. Savannah Marshall can't. And the sad thing is, they've peaked. Last year was both of their big fights. There's nobody else that Clarissa Shields needs to fight and there's no one else Savannah Marshall needs to fight, unfortunately. And I feel for Clarissa Shields because as much as she's polarizing and divisive, what she is is the best to ever do it on the women's side. And she's done stuff that I don't think will be matched for at least another generation or two. I think... She deserves a lot more respect for what she's done for the sport. She's carried a sport on her back, sometimes to her detriment, while other people like Savannah Marshall and there are others, Katie Taylor's another example, have kind of just sat there and let her do all the work. They've done nothing. And then they hide behind this, I'm quite quiet and reserved stuff. It's like, you, I don't care. Listen to me, I don't give a monkey's mm. who and what you are. You're a boxer. You're in the yeah. business of fucking selling. Yeah, You sell yeah. that fight. You sell that opportunity. I don't care if you're humble. You better convince me that you're going to do Franchon Cruz deserves some kind of damage because you're just sat there like you just need more money. What have you got to prove? You lost to the best person. You lost to the person you told us you would beat. Now you want to fight someone that she beat. No. Sell that fight. I couldn't agree more. And over time, I'm getting more and more frustrated. The boxers... You know, you mentioned it earlier with Buatzi. Like, they fight and then they disappear. Like, the whole YouTube phenomenon of those coming into boxing, and yet you've still not got boxers learning, that actually, if you stay visible and you promote yourself when you're not fighting, 
you might make more money out of it. And even when they are fighting, we're talking about women's boxing. How far away are we from Katie Taylor, Chantel Cameron? Three weeks, four weeks. Has anybody seen either of them? Don't tell me they're in camp. Like, I, I couldn't give a shit that you're in camp. You've got a fight to sell. Chantal Cameron may still have lunch lady arms, mate. The way she looked at that press conference. She, she may not want to be seen right now. <laughs> She's in my bad book. That whole Ellie Scottley stuff. But, uh, yeah. And that... do you remember when we were really high on Chantal? We, we wanted her on New Age. Yeah. Do you remember? We were banging the yeah. drum for Chantal Cameron. I remember you describing her as the kind of girl if there wasn't boxing, then she'd be down the shopping centre starting fights. Yeah. That's not a criticism. It's just her attitude. It's her her desire to fight. We were all up for it. Yeah, and then what? What you, you're going to betray the you're going to betray the greatest podcast in the history of the sport. You're going to betray the platform that made people recognize who you are. You and now because I don't like shame. What happened? Um, wait, wait, wait! What <laughs> happened? Like, like you can't really I, come out and tell I, me, like, like he, he must. And look, I like Shane, so like I don't want to be seen to be treading on on anything on any landmines here. But for that kind of reaction, he would have to be Harvey Weinstein. I'm like, what happened? <laughs> no, no, he would. And, and Shane's not that kind of guy. Do you know what I mean? He's Shane's not. I have somebody DM me who, who claimed to be close to. It. I'm not going to name now. Um, but yeah saying no because I put something out at a time and they DM me saying no like honestly she would leave Shane's gym and come to the place I was at and she was in tears and she was no shit okay so here's one thing I will say right we will not accept our fighters crying over stuff the whole reason you you earn ridiculous amounts of money the whole reason you sell out arenas the whole reason we elevate you to the status of a boxing star is this. You are supposed to go through stuff that mortals can't. I said this about Sandy Ryan. When Sandy Ryan was like, you had to delete Twitter because I lost. And I was like, huh? Huh? This is not a direction we need women's boxing to be going. I don't, and, I, and people can say I'm insensitive and I get where they're coming from. But if you want the same status the men do, we have to hold you to that same standard. You know, John Ryder couldn't cry in that ring yesterday after losing. He just couldn't. And what we will accept, what we will accept, and I speak, you know, as a man, I will accept boxers sitting in the press conference afterwards and crying in a press conference. I'm okay with that. In the, It's that let out of emotion after you've gone through all that training camp, win or lose, every, like all of that adrenaline has run through your body. You've got to the end of it. And, you know, you may be world champion. You may have lost your world championship. Whatever that may be. If you break down in that, that press conference, I'm okay with that. But what you're saying there, I completely agree with. You can't cry because of what Twitter's going to say about you. You can just turn it off. Turn it well, off and go about your life. I think it's a symptom of modern life. People uh, are desperate themselves at the forefront of everything they want to be famous but they don't realize it's a double-edged sword you're putting yourself up there not only to be adored but to be criticized as well they don't use twitter anyway they don't log on and interact with people 90 percent of the time anyway and i'm sure they could say 
uh, because of all the trolls. But yeah, there's a mute button. There's a block button. Grow up. Yeah. Do you know the shit I used to get before yeah. I discovered blockchain? The shit I used to get. And I was just like, but I'm just a guy with an opinion. Like, what? And then in the end, once you hit blockchain and it just isolated a whole section of boxing Twitter, because I was like, I don't see what they do and they don't see what I do anymore. Perfect. Then I had more productive conversations. But here's what I'm going to say to anyone that's listening to this. Rule number one. You have your opinion. I have my opinion. I'm not going to beat you up into accepting my view. Don't beat me up into accepting your view. I'm not going to have debates about opinions. I can debate facts and I can debate logic. I'm not going to debate opinions because yours is just as valid as mine. Um, Gary Saunders uh, says, Canelo says Ryder was the best Brit he's faced. How true is this? And is this a context for the this being the worst version of Canelo? He, I said earlier, I haven't seen it. He looked terrible. Canelo looked like a guy who's fought 60-odd times now. Do you know when... And the thing is, the mileage never hits you gradually. It kind of hits you all at once, right? And mostly because we, we keep making excuses. We made excuses about the Bivol fight. And then he won against Golovkin, so we kind of masked over that he didn't look that good against a 40-something-year-old Triple G. And then we saw him against Ryder. Bear in mind, of all the Brits that he's faced, Ryder is quite simply the worst, right? Ryder is the worst. And that's how he looked. He couldn't take out John Ryder, a guy who got stopped by Nick Blackwell. That's a worry. If if I was anybody, if I was Zach Chelly, I'd be like, give me the Canelo fight. Right now, I'd be like, yeah. Anyone with work rate and a bit of boxing IQ will detonate on him. He does not, he will never fight David Benavidez. I'm telling you this now, he will never fight David Benavidez because that fight may not go the distance. So what do you do if you've got Canelo? John, John Ryder's got a lot stronger and tougher since those Nick Blackwell days, hasn't he? Hey, he discovered eggs. <laughs> wow, well, just... It's an observation. Nick Blackwell stopped him. Canelo couldn't. Listen. Did you see that um, on a completely, completely unrelated topic? Did you hear that um, that drug report that came out for the Premier League? I did. Brilliant. Really. <laughs> we don't test because we don't have a problem. We're <laughs> 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 oh. the circle in existence. Terry rule so number one ridiculous. they don't want to catch people those motherfuckers well, don't want to catch anybody they don't no, they, they, they will tell you Andy Martin yeah we, we might be in the area on this day at this time you know maybe your players may acquire injuries at that point and may <laughs> not be training on that day Because they're all that. I mean, look at the state of you. Look at the state of UCAD, and they're having to. You know, what power have they got over somebody who's failed? Not their test, but a test under their jurisdiction in Connor Ben, and the struggle they're going through with that. Now imagine that's somebody that people actually care about, and not Connor Ben. Imagine that was Harland. Imagine that was 
I don't know. Harry Maguire. Man, he needs to come off the ketamine. <laughs> You'd have no hope, though, would you? You really wouldn't. You you don't... When you're UCAD, right? I, I've said it. The, the, UCAD want to catch... They're like the police. And I'm going to break this down. So if my door gets put through tomorrow, it's all on me. <laughs> if you took the top 100 criminals in this country right now, Rank, rank them one to a hundred, like like box wreck would. Of that top hundred, about seventy percent cooperate with the police. Right? They they cooperate. The police say, "You carry on as you are. You tell us what what's happening elsewhere. We'll deal with that. You carry on as you are because we need you here." Right? Because the police aren't concerned with that top tier. It's more hassle than it's worth. What they want to catch are those people where it looks good. So it's like, right, we're going to catch someone who's got five or six kilos. That's going to look good in the media, but it doesn't disrupt what we're doing at the top here. Because at the top here, everybody's passing money around and they're passing other stuff around. Some people say young children. I wouldn't, but some people would. Stuff is getting passed around at that top level. So they say, nah, just go and grab all these so people. You're far who... too reserved for statements like that, Terry. Say that again? So you're far too reserved to say things like that. I remember when I did that with Hindley and that guy threatened to sue us. (laughs) A defamation. He was adamant. Did you pull the episode? I told you they wouldn't sue. I'm waiting for the lawsuit. I told you, get get, get a payday loan and sue me. Come on, get get the payday loan. Do it on Klarna. Are you still encouraging it? If you want to sue you me, still want to be sued. Uh, yeah, come on. Yeah, building the case, it's just taking time. Yeah. It's just taking time. Ten years for they sue you. Yeah, you They're know. putting together um, that body of evidence. So, Sean asks, what has changed since you last did a pod together, and is the sport in a better or worse place compared to then? Which I think, to some degree, we answered a bit earlier. Um, I think you are the best answer for Andy. Well, I think it's been in a negative spiral for a while now. Um, can you identify uh, a tipping point whereby you went, nah, nah? Well, I can identify the peak, and that was, and that was for me, was the Fury Wilder fight. Um, at which point, and I want to reference a point in time where I think it was Joshua Fort Klitschko, and we did a podcast together, and I was buzzing because I was like here we go here we go now Klitschko is like you were young and stupid yeah and I was just thinking here we go it's going to be like Fury Wilder Fury Joshua is around the corner just everything's coming together um actually I say that was was Fury still in like you know Fat Man mode in 2017 Fat Man Scoop Fat Man I can't remember. Yeah, he um, was, because he didn't come back uh, till 2018. Remember, summer of 2018. Right, okay. So, feeling generally positive about everything. And I remember I was having this podcast, and Terry, and I think it was Terry that said it, but it was like, it's now going to build, and we're looking at 2021, 2022, before we start seeing the big fights. And I remember going, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> like, why did it take so fucking long? And remember what I said at well, the between... time. Remember what I said at the time, 
and I said no but you will yeah of course I said boxing has just scared itself because I was like look we've got to the end of April and we've been given classic fight after classic fight I think we had DeGale Jack we had Frampton Santa Cruz Frampton Santa Cruz yeah so that was that year where we just had that real like it was like oh this is this. Yeah. It, was, it was too good you know sometimes it's like you know when a girl says you can come round no strings attached right and it's it's good. You're like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And you go back for like the fourth time. Then she's like, I really like you. And you're like, oh man, oh. And you, I knew it was too good to be true. No, you know when stop, you know when women stop you being a player, Mark. <laughs> you know when you're, like, you know, when you're drinking it, you know, seven different wells, and one of the wells gets dashed to you. You know, you know, it's really just tough. <clears throat> Yeah, no, I don't. Carry uh, on. <laughs> <laughs> but when, I remember Terry sort of, so Terry saying that boxing scared itself. Well, I just remember being, that was, for me, that's how I felt, I was I felt um, eager to just watch more boxing because it was in such a good place. And I remember that uh, a bit further forward in time, I remember that Sports Week episode with Barry Hearn and um, Frank Warren. <clears throat> Barry Hearn going, ah, we need to let it marinate. And he played the sport marinade. And then Frank Warren came on sort of towards the end and said, come on, we're ready to do this fight now. We're ready to have, I think it was, I'm assuming it was Fury, Fury and Joshua. And then I think Barry Hearn said that he wouldn't talk to the BBC anymore and hung up the phone. <laughs> I think that's what happened. So, Terry, you yeah. remember that episode, don't you? Yeah, Frank Frank had him on the ropes because remember, Barry was talking then Frank rang in and said, oh, we can do whatever. Frank, Frank was like, we will yeah. do whatever deal whenever you want to do it, we're ready now. Yeah, uh, and then Barry threw a tantrum and yeah, and sort of disappeared. And then it just seemed to me, it just seemed to be that the AJ vehicle, um, AJ was getting... AJ went through this sort of like weird sort of few stages where he was really, his, his ego just got gi- ginormous. Then he seemed to like go, right, well, I'm so good that I need to prove to everyone I can box as well because, uh, you know, everyone thinks I'm just a punch merchant. Then he got sparked out by, by the Mexican and then, it's, and then it all just fell apart from there. It's almost like the, when he lost that, he just went into a freaking... So negative feedback loop of I always say this like the, the the downward spiral for Joshua now I'm gonna pinpoint the exact moment. It was when Takam was stopped before Takam was ready to go. And the fans had kind of gone through four or five months of okay, Joshua and Vlad are gonna rematch, right? And that would have been well, compel- Pulis, No 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 if you remember No 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 remember the first fight was Joshua versus Vlad. And then Vlad... No, but Takam was, Takam was the Pulev stand, yeah, yeah. wasn't he? The, no, the yeah. last... No, yeah, so it was April, we got the fight, and then it was such a good fight. Remember they said, we're going to do the rematch. And I, and I was like, cool, mm. Vlad's going to have some rounds in him now. he have a proper camp, he knows Joshua. This is going to be more interesting. And then Vlad was like, ah, how about I don't do that? And then it was like, right, now That's do fine. your mandatory against Pulev. And then Pulev got injured, yeah. and then... Supposedly, Takam had been training all of this time. And Takam looked fleshy as hell. <laughs> he, looked, he looked like, yeah, That's yeah, been, been training for three months, honestly, guys. And Takam's holding his own against Joshua. That was the first time we said, I don't think this guy's a killer. 
That was the first time yeah, because Pacquiao was like it was like it was like Joshua was punching a, a post box, wasn't it? It just like it just wasn't going anywhere. It was just, just solid. And Joshua was tiring. And then the ref just kind of put Takam in a chokehold and said, mate, yeah. you got your money. It's over. And then after that, you never really saw Joshua put himself in harm's way. Can I tell you the exact point when it started to decline? I've got it on my phone. Here we go. Hello there. I'm just after getting off the phone with Daniel Kinahan. Uh, he just informed me that the biggest fight in British boxing history has just been agreed. Give them my boy! Big shout out to He got this done um, literally over the line. Two-fight oh. deal. Uh, Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua um, next year. One problem. I've just got to smash Deontay Wilder's face right in. At that point, <laughs> it went in decline. Do you remember the film American Gangster? Do you remember the film American Gangster? Yeah. yeah. Remember when he wore the fur coat to the to the boxing? And that was the point yeah. where it was like, okay, now this is it's over for you. That that was like Kinahan's American Gangster moment where that 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 name didn't need to be mentioned. I think someone needed to script that for Tyson Fury because that after that they were like, well, hold on, who's this guy? How's he made this fight happen? And then everything they went, just they went in. too hard to. Uh... Yeah, hundred percent. Mental, but it just you know, in amongst all of this, you had just well, obviously you had the Fury Wilder fight, which was they felt like the highlight in a in an otherwise sort of like sea of grey because it looked like AJ was they just thought they were riding AJ for as long as they could on the basis they thought he was going to floor everyone until he until he met, eventually moved to Fury. So like. We don't want to blow it too soon, so we'll just get him to fight absolutely everyone because everyone keeps buying AJ fights. And then, you know, when we're desperate, we'll fight Fury. No, um, no, remember, then... Andy, Andy, remember. How many times did Hearn say that fight will never happen? Because Fury fought, um, yep. he fought like a Seferi Seferi, then he fought some other, some other bum. And then he said, I'm ready for Wilder. And we were all like, oh, he's just saying that. And then the talk started and the Tom fight was agreed. That's right. What was it? From from when he finished his, that second comeback fight till he fought Wilder, four months tops? Yeah, Tom Schwartz was the second one, wasn't it? Yeah. That's... I wish boxing was like that, where fights just get made. The same way that Ryan Garcia and Tank Davis fight got made, right? And we, we, we now look back on that and go, what a perfect way to build a fight. Because do you remember it was... Was it Ryan Garcia that went on Mike Tyson's podcast? And he's like, yo, man, yo, Ryan, man. Yo, man, I'm going to call up Tank, man. I'm going to see what you, yo, you're talking real tough out here, Ryan. Man, I'm going to call up Tank, man. Yo, yo, Tank, I got Ryan here, man. What you got to say to him, man? Come on. And that's when it started. And you're like, I'd like to see that fight one day. Bam, they made it happen. Yep. Yep. Do you know the other point, boxing uh, peaked and then declined? <laughs> I hope it's another audio file. So I think upstairs is like a okay. I've got one more thing to say to him. <laughs> Are you aware of the podcast, uh, New Age Boxing? Oh, yeah. Oh, hold on. I think it's upstairs is like a okay. I've got one more thing what? to say to him. There we go. Are you aware of the podcast, uh, New 
Got his number. Uh, I have him knocking about somewhere. Can we patch him in? <laughs> well, <I don't> <laughs> no, no, no. Can we pa- no, patch him in because he must still be in Mexico? Let's patch him in if we can. Who's in control? <laughs> he probably blocked me. Well, no, no. If you need to send it to me, I'll do it. We'll, we'll, let's patch him in and we're going to go, hey, mate, we've come to collect. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> uh, I think we should. Right. It, there's no way that he would make the phone call happen. It would get delayed for some reason. No, no well, um, well, well, well. At least everyone who's listening to us would know that we tried. Well, well, there you go, Terry. There's your chance. Right. Um, <laughs> right. So I'm gonna save this my contact. This motherfucker's done. Um, okay, cool. Wait, I'm sure that's a pretty big GDPR reach, but okay. Right, how do I add someone? That's not the worst legal thing we've ever done on this podcast, so. Oh, man, it's end-to-end encrypted, but how the hell do I add someone to the call? My God. And welcome to the New Age Technical Podcast. You can tell we've all got older. Who? What? Add add to existing contact. No, that's all done. Right. I don't know if we can actually. Uh, We we almost have to call each other to do that. Ah, probably for the best. This is this is podcast gold right here. Probably for the best. Right, Martin. Does boxing need Fury, or are we better off without him? Um, boxing needs Fury if Fury is willing to engage in the Usyk or the Joshua fight. Otherwise. I couldn't give a fuck, really. And I don't think the Joshua fight's competitive. No. I don't think it's competitive at all. I was going to ask you that, actually. Is that just is that just basically a fascination fight? That's it, really, isn't it's it? A, it's a generation fight. Because these... You know, you referenced it earlier. All the same names are coming up that we were discussing six years ago. Yeah. And we kind of need a climax to all of that. Brooke and Khan gave us it on their way out the door. Like, Fury and Joshua need to give us it before they make their way out the door. In my view, like, yeah. if they don't do it, then what are they going to do? Come back in the year, I don't know, 2033 and do it as 45, 50-year-olds in the same way people talk now about get Calzaghe and Frotch in the ring. Fine, I'll happily watch those two in the ring, but I would rather have seen them in the ring when they were 30 years old. Um, yeah. So yeah, I just I'm, I'm all up for just seeing those fights. Otherwise, I couldn't care less about Fury. Being honest, I I just feel like does boxing need Fury? No, no, it needs characters. It needs people that are willing to step into his shoes. You can't rely on a 
30, what is it, whatever he is now, 35, 36-year-old heavyweight to carry the sport forward. He's been the life and soul of the party for, you know, whatever, five, six years-ish. It's almost like, it's like Mayweather. He kind of gave everything to the sport. Fury, okay, he kind of, he maybe cheated the sport a little bit over the years. Well, well, well his dietary choices were questionable. He yeah, cheated in the sport maybe a little bit over the years. Um, but he's, you know, he's given us entertainment. He's given us those sort of fights. People wanted to see him fight Dillian White. And he did it. He didn't have to. Well, I suppose he did under the WC mandatory stuff. But <laughs> around that, he didn't have to fight Wilder three times. And he did it. Like, Joshua hasn't given us those moments. In my view, he hasn't given us those moments. It's almost on Joshua to make it at this point, for me. And if Fury doesn't do it, Fury can walk away. That's why I think Joshua was the... They just milked Joshua for too long. They thought that he was indestructible and that he would just walk for everyone until they got to either Wilder or Fury. And and when that didn't happen... it denied us that point. There were enough rumours. And on a side note, we can't patch Eddie in. I tried everything. Um, we'll have to do another episode at some point where we do it a bit more loose and we'll, we'll draw him in. We're going to get him, though. I'm determined to get him. We'll set up a group like two seconds before the group call. Yeah, it's just hi, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> it's a collect. But, but in terms of, of Joshua... He was getting smacked around in sparring enough that people knew that he wasn't what we were being sold. You know. So why didn't they make that fight with Wilder then? Because it, it just seemed to, like it, it was. What, what was the purpose? Did they think they could just get they could make more money with five fights against you know n- nobody? From what I understand, they want to control. So I was told by someone who's close enough to Wilder for me to respect their opinion. Wilder didn't want to give up control, right? So he was like, I'll fight Joshua. Yeah, we'll come together for a fight and we go our separate ways. What Hearn was doing was loading it. Yeah, he front loaded it and said, no, you're going to fight Dillian first, then you're going to fight Joshua twice. And Wilder's like, well, no. The world want to see this fight happen once. The way I'm going to do Joshua, there ain't going to be no second fight. So why I don't want nothing in the contract about a second fight. We can talk about it later, but there's no, there's no Dillian before. There's no rematch with Joshua after. It's one fight. And they just wouldn't concede to that. And, and history's shown us that Wilder will make any fight. If the money's right, he'll make any fight. Was there a rematch clause with Fury for that first fight, or was it just because it was a draw, that it was a natural fight to remake. I think it was just a natural fight to be made. And then there was, a, there was a clause in the second fight agreement, which then turned into the third fight. Um, Dave Mack also asks, uh, who's going to come out top in the lightweight division? Ooh. That's going to be you, Terry. Um... So, so if we're looking at the landscape of lightweight, let's take Ryan Garcia out because he's going to move up to 140. So you've really got Haney, Shakur Stevenson, Tank, and maybe one young buck. We'll call Frank Martin one of the young bucks on his way up, right? Even Loma. You can put Loma as the fifth guy. And if this all happens in the next two years, 
I think Tank comes out on top. Um, I just what I saw what I saw with Ryan Garcia was a guy who has insane concentration, has a ring IQ that not many people have, and when he needs to hurt you, he can. I think everyone else relies on having a good day. Tank doesn't rely on having a good day; he just relies on getting you. That's it. So, what I would do you Andy Cruz. Andy Cruz, the Cuban. Hmm. He's turned pro with Matchroom. Nah. So, Yuriorkis Gamboa is a prime example of there's something about these Cubans that it doesn't translate into the pros. I don't know if it's a durability thing. I don't know if it's a tactical thing. They're not able to, to manage that style for 12 rounds. So, Cuban... Because remember, the essence of the Cuban style is get hit as little as possible, right? So... When it does come on top and you've got to just stand your ground and have a, have a bit of a tear-up, it takes more out of them than it does anyone else who's used to it. So I don't, I'm not sold on Andy Cruz. And whenever Matchroom signs someone who was a really good Olympian like Yulusinov, I have a feeling that other people have turned them down for a reason. Yeah, I love it because you see it on Twitter, all the people that have probably watched about two Andy Cruz amateur fights in their life, but have heard his name and he's three-time world amateur champion. He's won Olympics and they're proper, like, absolutely wanking one off over it, aren't they? They're, uh, oh, he's going to be amazing. I think, is he? Like, who's the last Cuban real success story? Rigondeau? At a push, Rigo, yes, but what happened when he fought Loma? It was embarrassing. And yeah. I, know, I know the argument is, look, he had to come up a couple of weight classes. Yes, but his skills fell apart. It would forget the his physical constitution and the weight. His skills actually just fell apart. That was a worry. Yeah, Gamboa. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I've not watched enough of him. I'm, but I'm not going to sit on Twitter and wax lyrical about the fact that he's going to be a multi weight world champion or whatever. Well, but that's what Twitter likes, made. right? Twitter likes to be early yeah. on stuff. <clears throat> oh yeah, I, I said it first, and that's cool, but. I like that when it comes from a place of you've seen someone's journey up close and personal. So when people say, yeah, you did it with Ben Whitaker," Yes, but I saw Ben up close and personal. So I was like, yeah, it's, it's there. This isn't an internet thing. This is an in-person thing. This is a guy who in the ABA final was showboating against Jordan Reynolds, who was the golden boy at the time. So you see a lot of stuff like that. But this Andy Cruz guy, show me him... I need to see him in a 12-rounder. If he can do a 12-rounder and he can go to war and he can do all of that stuff, I might change my opinion. But generally, Cubans tend to taste the trappings of wealth and something in them just softens. History's shown that numerous times. Andy, will, I, will Isaac uh, Lowe's inability to count the tank cost him when he gets dropped? I think Lowe is the best Twitter account, bar none. I um, loved his thing with Prince Patel. Brilliant. Like, just him going to... What was it he said? My favourite quote for the whole thing was, I don't need to be able to spell to knock you out. And I was like, oh, yeah. he. And I, that's why I love someone who, who understands their gimmick now. He understands that he's the guy that can't, can't really read and write. And I'm like, cool. If you're going to lean into that and make it your thing, good luck to you.
So good luck to Isaac Lowe. Um, I like him. Like as we moan that there aren't characters in boxing, Isaac Lowe's a character. He may not be the best in his weight class, and that's okay. But he's a character, so we will gravitate towards him. And boxers can learn from that. When you're an identifiable character, people will come to you. Got to have a little read of that, Andy. What's the next question? Go on. <laughs> in the podcast, well, it doesn't. I mean, you're the recorder, so as long as you fill the uh, the void, it'll be seamless. Uh, well, with your, with your answer, just just like two minutes of you talking about Isaac Lowe, not being able to count to ten. Perfect. We don't know. We're well, perfect, right? I'm going to leave that in there anyway, so people know that you know things happen sometimes. I, don't, I have no idea what happened. Are happens. you back recording? I haven't stopped recording. Ah. Um, okay. Right, well, we'll, we'll never know the answer until we listen to it. <laughs> It'll be about one hour 39 in. Questions now. I don't know Twitter account, though. It's fucking brilliant. Like, just unintentionally hilarious. Maybe it is intentional. Um, Imagine it turned out that he had a degree. And what if there's a PR team running it for him? They're like, let's just amp this up a little bit. Let's just whack it into chat GPT. <laughs> Maybe that's what Time Booth did. Oh, my Speaking God. Time Booth. Oh, my God. How Speaking did you... Time Booth. But, but how did you feel, Martin? Because... Because... Go on. Because I was going to say, because he, he stuck it to, like, your, your mortal enemy. He stuck it to Coogan, and yet I still, my first initial thought was, was this. Shut up, you nuts, you fucking pedophile. This guy's a pedophile, he upsets his young kids. That was my initial thought. Because... <laughs> Because I got told about it, I I didn't actually get to hear it live. And someone just said, "Have you seen it?" So I jumped on, and my instincts were correct. I was like, oh, "This is just a joke gone too far." This is someone, and here's the issue I have with with that kind of lane in boxing Twitter, right? You know the kind of the shock jock thing, like the kind of the early years of Howard Stern. Anything to get a shock, anything to get controversy yeah, yeah. is good. And I just felt he. He thought he could push it that far. He suddenly saw the backlash and was like, oh, this is bad. And he's not stupid. Yeah, so from, as you say, there's, that, there's that corner of Twitter whereby you've got lots of people with, like, there's no accountability to it. He has accountability. That's his problem. Um, and then he started talking about the sexual attraction of a three-year-old girl. Like, that's fucking wrong. Wrong. Um, so whether I like Kuban Cassius or not, it's irrelevant. Um, like take that in isolation. What's time boosted? It's just stupid. Yeah, he, he just, I get he's larking around, but don't be a dick. Yeah, there's just like, like I think one thing I've always taken pride of in what we've done is we've always kept it to the boxing, and I think that's always important to keep it to the boxing because I'm happy to be held accountable for what I say in a boxing context. If someone says. You didn't think I boxed that well. I can break it down and say, here's why. Yeah, I can point to it. I've got evidence. But if I say, uh, you know, you're a rubbish husband and you're doing this, you're doing that, 
I can't really back that up and nor should I be talking about it. And that's one of the things I learned very early on. We got a question, Terry. I'm going to ask it because I don't know if Andy's seen it or not. I suspect you might have, Andy. But it's about your dislike for uh, Rob Tebbett. Okay. Oh, oh yeah, firstly. <laughs> but no, but that's so not how it's played. Well, Andy, you do it. I just I wanted to make sure we touched on it. <laughs> Why? <laughs> so there's a certain amount of presumption in this. Why is Terry so? Why is Terry so jealous of Tebbett? Is the way it's phrased. Who asked that question? Um, guy called Rob slash Tebbett. No, Toby. Toby boxing fan. His name is. He was the one who pulled you up the other day on your podcast, Terry. Um, now, now he, here's the issue I have. Right, and I'm not going to knock Toby because Toby's one of those like old school guys. You know, boxed in the '80s, I think, and you know he. I mean, he's of and those. He's really. he, looks, he looks really fucking hard. Yeah, neither here nor there, man. I listen, you know. I mean, I mean, we, I mean, we can put dents in muscles. That doesn't bother me. It's more he's old school, so I understand his values. He sees stuff like that, but he hasn't got the wider context. Now the thing is, he's gone about it ass backwards. So he's had the opinion before asking the question. Yeah. So for me, that's intellectually yeah. lazy, because you guys know the story. So when I I I'll recount it, here's what happened. Rob Tebbett is on. Uh, behind the gloves with Michelle Joy Phelps. She sacks him because he's a twat. He's a wanker. That's that. That's that's what I. No, 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 no. That's what I was told. He's a wanker. He's he's egotistical. Thinks he's better than he is. Got a Napoleon complex. All this sort of stuff was what was coming out, right? But this was so he gets turfed off that, and he calls me up, and I remember it was a Tuesday evening. I was walking back from Fitzroy Lodge. And he calls me up and he's emotional. I'm going to say he was in tears, but he was in tears. And he's like, what, what am I going to do? I say, well, what do you want to do? And so we were talking. Okay, okay, cool, 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 cool. And I said, look, there may be a spot with Boxing Social. Let me talk to Kettlebrum, man. Like, you know I mean, I'll just say, you're, yeah, you know what I mean? You do your thing. And then, you know what I mean? Then we talked and said, but in the interim, what are you going to do? He's like, I just want to be around gyms and I want to do some content. And he said, can I come to the lodge? Yeah, I was like, listen, man, the kids will be grateful for the attention and all this sort of stuff. And so it never happened. So he goes to Boxing Social. So then I'm like, yo, we've got a commitment here, right? And so we talked, and this was at the live show we talked, uh, the second one in Old Street. And he said, I'm going to come. He said, I, he said, honestly, thank you, I owe you, I'm going to come and we're going to do this. That's what he said to me. And then, remember we did the episode with him at your house, Andy? Yeah. And he said the same thing again. So at this point, I'm like, be a man of your word. And so he wasn't. And so when he wasn't a man of his word, I sat on it, right? I just sat on it. And I said, when do I want to stick it to him? And then if you remember, um, when was it? That Easter when I was at your call, was it 2019? And he did the thing of shaking all these other podcasters' hands. And I was with Rob Martin at the time, right? Rob saw it all. And he looked at me and he just went past me. And I said, see that disrespect there? That gives me license to go at this guy, right? So when Toby That's says, I don't see why you're jealous. I remember. Pardon? That's the part where I remember. I, yeah. I, that's why I sort of rejoined. 
I remember you. I remember you talking about it anyway. This part in detail, yeah. So, so you see, someone like Toby, and I get it. You live in the middle of nowhere. You don't really understand what's popping off in these streets. <laughs> Isn't Toby in Cornwall? Yeah, you're in the middle of nowhere, man. Like what's that, Saint Austell well, and all like that sort of stuff, like. Anyway. Like fucking Red Ruth and Camborne, where I used to play rugby as a kid. All that sort of like stuff where, do you know what I mean? It, it's nice in the summer, but ain't no one going there in the winter. But that's cool. What I'm saying to you, Toby, so you understand this. That level of disrespect from someone who made his commitment. That's where it all started. And the thing is, what happens is when we're at these events and Tebet knows that I'm going to be there, he sees me. He scuttles off. Like he will not, he will not come near me. There was a time where he was hiding behind Brooke Stretfield, like, I don't want to go over there. Uh, do you know what I mean? That was at the Albert Hall when, when I did the Denzel Bentley interview. And he, did, he didn't want no parts of it. So when you say, why am I jealous of Rob Tebbit? Why am I? I'm not jealous of Rob Tebbit. Show me how much money Rob Tebbit makes for being a video jockey. Show me the numbers. He had to go running off to... Pardon? You broke us down on your episode. <laughs> exactly. He's not making money. This guy's there and like, like, you know what I mean? He's a dad now. And I'm like, you're still gallivanting, trying to chase his dream that ain't going to work for you. And you are just out here, I mean, doing nothing. In fact, just nothing. Being Coogan's bitch, essentially, because he, he's the guy that makes sure you have access. And that's okay. Right? But I'm not jealous of that because I'm not a camera jockey. Like... I couldn't live with the pay cut. So, Toby, when you say I'm jealous, you're factually incorrect. It's sad that you do that because you're, you're old enough to, to be better than that. But if you don't want to be, that's all cool. You know, live your life, man. May God bless you. Keep listening to the pod because I, I do appreciate the fact that you listen and I also appreciate the fact that you engage. But what I am saying is the Rob Tebbett thing, uh, you walked into a situation you didn't really understand and you had an opinion before you got the facts. Okay. Complete enough. On the note of all that, and I, Andy, I'm conscious that you're knackered and you want to go to bed. Um, uh, that's fine. I'm happy to sit. Just, I, I might not be as my most engaged, but right now I'm happy to engage because I'm going to extend that yeah. question out. Uh, I listen to I listen to all your podcasts, Terry. Not that I'm a fucking. I'm not here to suck you off about it, but I listen to all of them. We'll um, find out the reasons to do that. It's okay. <laughs> We meet up with you in June. <laughs> Suck me off now. Um, but the one you went into with um, the ID boxing, boxing news stuff. Hmm. Um, following on from that, I find it a really weird link-up. I don't know about you, that, that I, I get along with Rob far better than you do. I don't have the personal animosity towards him that you do, like, cards on the table kind of thing. I don't speak to him all the time, but I get messages from him occasionally. Um, but I, I still find it... I think it's an intriguing link-up, but Boxing News is a dying brand. ID Boxing, I think, as you said in your podcast, needed that authenticity behind it, which Boxing News can add. But if Boxing News wanted to do online, they could have done online, surely. Like, it's just sending someone to press conferences with a camera. Ah, but then you need people I'm who not, can I'm... edit. I, I, I get it. Like, you know, 
once you get into the content creation industry, you understand you need someone who can edit, who can EQ the vocals. Did you ever listen to the Boxing News podcast? I, I used to back in the day, but if yeah. I'm perfectly honest, it was boring. Yep, it was it boring was and it was like it was filmed in a brothel. It was just terrible. And it's still boring. Like, I can't imagine it changed too much. No offence to John Denham, but he's not a podcasting person. Well, John's, uh, in John, my view. John's a really good journalist. He gave me my interview in the Boxing yeah. News, so I'll always appreciate that. But we know this. We're podcasters. We understand that we're hitting a different audience in a different way. And so there's a You've lot of have thought. something interesting to yeah. say, and he doesn't. In my, again, only in my view, he's a brilliant journalist, not an engaging character. And podcasting is all about characters. You, do you remember when Hay lost to Bellew? How mad was Twitter? That motherfucker best yep. show up tomorrow. Terry best not call in sick. He better show up tomorrow. <laughs> we have questions. <laughs> yeah? yeah? I want to know how he feels now that his boyfriend's been defeated. All that stuff, right? And I don't take that personally because I'm like, that's, that's what we wanted. We we wanted oh, to trend in that moment. Hard on for Hay, that time, so <laughs> you'd have been, you, 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 it would have been a little bit, you know, a little bit um, ridiculous for you to have got pissed off about that because you were back in Hay hard. <laughs> hey, listen, man, that was that was that was my that was my in. Do you know what I mean? That was my my road to credibility. So I, <laughs> I had to. Um, but <laughs> but you need that. So. I, I look at ID Boxing, and you've got Rob, who's essentially just a Norbert, isn't he? Just like a Norman. Could be a librarian in another life. Let's not split hairs here. Failed actor. Couldn't even make it as an extra. Not just an actor. Couldn't make it as an extra. Oh, God, Terry. Right? And then, and then oh. you've got the guy who actually had the account. And when he had the account, it was like 4,000 followers. And then they, they probably purchased a few more. That's okay. You know, you want to cheat the, the algo. Do your thing. And then whoever the other guys are that they've sucked up from Boxing Social, we don't know who they are. Well, which of these guys do you enjoy having a beer with? Which of these guys can you invite out and say, this guy's going to give us a memorable night? None of them. Whatever I think of them personally, this is factual. These are just Normans, Herberts, Simons, whatever they are. That's what they are. So what swag and pizzazz are they going to bring to the Boxing News? None. Oh, we'll show you how to do digital. We don't watch your stuff. I showed you the numbers. Like, we don't watch your stuff. So what are you showing Boxing News? Nothing. But, but clearly, Boxing News was a distressed asset. You buy it. You've got an archive. Maybe, and I said this to Riku, maybe you turn that archive into desktop books for boxing fans, like high-value books that make you look reasonably sophisticated or whatever. Eddie Hearn might buy a few, give them out as prizes, that sort of stuff. I get that. There's value in the archive. But those if you fail the boxing social, you're going to fail at ID boxing. <laughs> Come on, man. Like, this is a definition of insanity. The same people doing the same thing under a different brand with a different outcome. Explain to me how that works. Yeah, but those numbers between Rob and Coogan were really big, though, weren't they, Terry? Hmm. <laughs> do you remember the first time I flagged that and it was at 86,000 and I didn't believe those numbers then and then it, it went up to 189,000 views and I was like but that, that's a year after the fact I've never seen a pod like I've got 
200 to look at. I've never seen a pod bump a year after. Like the only one that ever does that is my Larry one because people just go back to that for reference, but nothing else really. And, and also the thing I say to people, I now know what it's like to go viral because remember I did the AJ video, that AJ voiceover one I did. The commentary one. Yeah, and that got to 1.4 million views, right? Do you know how many extra followers that gave me, Martin? thousand uh about 1500 yeah so that's one in a thousand that is one in a thousand of viewers that were compelled to follow yeah Yeah. so I, i look at these numbers and i'm like they don't mean anything i've seen them enough these numbers don't mean anything so then I'm like, if they don't mean anything, then there's no money behind them. So how are these guys going to make money? They're not. They just found some rich people who are gullible enough to believe in, uh, what's that operation called? STN Sports and the other stuff, ID Boxing and all that. And they're going to just spunk a load of money at the wall. Yeah. So it it's never made sense to me. It just, it well, doesn't... It, <clears throat> Let's whiz through some of these. John Bailey asks, are you buying the Ben apology? <laughs> are, we, are we past caring at this point? Like, everything that he's doing now, he should have done six months ago. No, let's, let's, let's all, everyone listening to this, give yourselves a massive pat on the back. There's a point in time where this would have worked. Sticking around this long. Well, no, no. But there's a point in time where the Conor Ben strategy would have worked, right? And I think what we started off on the new age, where we were like, listen, there's a lot of drugs going on in the sport that you love. And I was, remember, Tin Four Hat Terry, that's what they called me. And then I did the episode with Larry, and that, that went mainstream. Like, like, the places that thing went to still blow my mind. And three years later, you have a boxing fan base who's now like, we don't believe what we're being told. We know you're at it. Just admit it and we will forgive you. That's all. Just say, do you know what? I took the clomiphene because I was jacking my ass full of testosterone and trembolone and I I got caught. Because (laughs) what else are you telling us? You're telling us that Four samples were tampered with is essentially what he's saying because remember, he seals up the, 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 the damn things and he has to sign them to say this is all official. That's what Conor Ben has to do. You're telling me four times they tampered with your sample. Four times. How many people would they have to pay for that to happen? And then who paid for that? Who tampered with your sample and why, Conor Ben? That's my question. Who would have tamp- tampered with your sample and why? What, the board? So the board said to the lab, lab in Salt Lake City, yeah, we don't like Conor Ben because of his dad. Yeah? How can you find it so you can just inject some clomiphene in there? And that, don't put loads in there, which would make it really obvious, and we'd be able to get him banged to rise. Just put trace amounts in there. Yeah, what does trace amounts? Who knows? Yeah, just put a, li- just put a little bit so it's, so it's still dubious and debatable. Yeah, because that's how we're going to catch him. And then, and then, Andy, sorry, guys, sorry, yeah, put enough in that only Varda catch it because we don't recognize them, yeah? How stupid does that sound when you really break it down? It sounds so fucking stupid that if he had just said, 
I took the drugs, everyone else is at it, look at Dr. Us, Tyson Fury, Joseph Parker, that guy, that guy, even my gym mates are at it. Cool. We would have been okay you with that. that. You know that in between episode where Will gets like, he doesn't get served at a bar on like their sick form freshers evening or whatever <laughs> it is. And then he just starts grassing up going, he's 16. He's 16. His mum buys his trousers. <laughs> That's what I want to see Connor Ben doing. But because, look, look. The stupid thing is, like, when you look at, when, like, you're, you're never going to get someone from uh, a drug testing lab come out and start arguing with these boxers. But they don't just go, oh, we're looking for uh, whatever drug, and we'll just, um, and therefore we'll just look for that drug. When your body metabolizes these, these chemicals, it then produces, like, subchemicals from that from that metabolism, which they can also test for. So when they just sort of, they almost like, they plead, they, they, they sort of plead this um, innocence on and try and exploit the ignorance of the general public by just going, oh, I must have been tampered with. Like, the, as Terry's sort of alluding to there, the extent of the management to which you'd have to go through in order to tamper with it would be, astronomically complex and it just you know it just it just boggles the mind why all they, they try and do is obfuscate the truth and try and make yeah. it so that it's very difficult to pull apart now let me put it in this context if it were john doherty andy do you know who john doherty is oh, i've only heard the name that's it you haven't heard the name don't lie <laughs> um if it were john doherty have you talked about him before haven't you no, he's, sure, he's kind of come to fruition since we, we last um, recorded. If it were John Dockey who failed with the same test, for the same outcomes, for the same scenario, Eddie Hearn would not be going to war about it. There is no mm. chance. There is no chance. It's purely because it's Connor Ben, and they try and obfuscate the truth until people are so confused by it that you kind of just go, oh, I can't fucking be arsed. Just go and fight Manny Pacquiao. I don't care. But yeah, I'm going to watch it anyway. But here's, um, here's the issue. Like, I keep saying this over and over again. And that's why, like, when the first test came out, I remember tweeting Eddie. I said, can you confirm that it's only one failed test? Because I, yeah. I'd been given the story that he failed one test, he failed the second test, and then they were like, Dr. Uz, you got to come in, man. And then that's when Dr. Uz was banging the drum about working with Connor Ben. Because they were like, we can't fail another test. So what, what had clearly happened at this point is they'd baselined it and said, we're all good to go on this fight. So Dr. Uz, you're going to make sure he doesn't fail again. That's what happened. That's the worst part of this, is you got him in to make sure you don't fail again. Not for any other reason, to make sure you don't fail again. Now... And then... And then Dr. Oz is on Instagram going, yay, look at me, I'm getting all these Gucci gifts off Connor Ben. Like, you fucking idiot. Exactly. Like, and then and then let's, and here's what I don't understand. The board haven't looked into everybody else working with Dr. Oz. What, Dr. Oz, who is a board licensed doctor? So he's given up the board license now. <laughs> and he's, he's, he? na he's now free to, to roam in the wild. But look at the guys he works with. Brilliant. Right? And this was on his profile. Tyson Fury was on there. Joe Parker was on there. 
Anthony Fowler's readily admitted he works with Dr. Oz and people asked him, well, what, you, what, you, what? That's not your GP. So what do you need him for? Yeah, just to make sure that if I get sick in camp. Yeah. It's... So all of this is quite seedy because there are a lot of questions that need to be answered. Number one, who else in the gym? Because there's no way Tony Sims didn't know about this. Tony Sims is old school and his rule will be this. Anything that happens in my gym, I know about. And... Excuse me, Dr. Uz was in the gym. So Tony Sims would have had to be like, why have we got a doctor in the gym? What's this all about? So what was the answer to that question? These are all the things we have to know. The, the board and UCAD have to really understand what was happening in that gym. Because we need to know that if this is just an isolated incident or there are gyms all over Essex with this kind of problem. <clears throat> yeah. But John Ryder did very well against Canelo. So anyway. When, when they talk... When they, it's, for me, it's the equivalent of um, getting caught speeding, and then it's like, well, you've been caught speeding. What you would say for yourself? Well, was the camera working properly? That's what we need to know because I wasn't speeding. Well, no, we've got photographic evidence of you speeding. Yeah, but in that picture, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm stationary. So how do you know I was speeding? That? Well, the camera says you were at 96 mile an hour. Yeah, but I wasn't. Uh, just, well, just flawed. Do you remember Alex Ferguson? Do you remember Alex Ferguson when he got off his speeding ticket? <laughs> no. No, so he got done, um, I think he was either caught speeding or he was driving down the hard shoulder of a motorway. I think it might have been that. <laughs> and uh, when he was kind of banged to rights for it, he said, well, I really needed to go to the toilet. Um, so I just drove down the hard shoulder of the motorway. And like, he'd got the best lawyer on the planet to argue his case. He got off it. Was it half time? Was that the reason he was speeding? <laughs> so bizarre, isn't it? Like, and, and how does that sound? Because it sounds like a crappy, a really crappy excuse. And he's got this amazing lawyer. What does he just write it up in like Celtic poetry or something and deliver it that way? You and you find but some precedent. was found not guilty of illegally driving on a motorway hard shoulder after magistrates heard he had been suffering. <laughs> He'd been suffering from severe diarrhea and was trying to get to a toilet. Squeaky oh, bum time. <laughs> but mind you, I've I I met a bloke once who had been. He, 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 I was at a speeding course with him, and uh, <laughs> he, he, proper, he had a proper he had a proper attitude problem. And he was like, ah, oh, this cast is fucking shit. Did he have a, did he have a Scottish accent as well? <laughs> no. And he, was like, he said, do you know what? Last time I got off one of these, he said, I was driving down the road and there was a police car on the bridge and it, and it caught us on camera. And I took it all the way to the magistrates. And I said to him, I said, every car that sped past that, that uh, bridge before that van were there, and every uh, he's gone from he's gone from a Liverpoolian to a Yorkshireman at this point. He's a, a very he's like, Yeah, <laughs> every every car that went past that bridge before and after that van was there, nobody got caught, but I got caught, and the law should apply to everyone equally. And the magistrate went, "Yeah, go on then, off you go." It's <laughs> just. <laughs> It was it right at the end of the day. The magistrate was like, "Oh, whatever, mate. Fuck off." He's probably bored of his accent. 
Look, so, so there's a thing yeah, actually. Well, so there, it was interesting. I think it kept moving about. So there's a study that says <laughs> if a judge adjudicates in your case after he's had lunch, you're more likely to get off. Is that right? Yeah. So you take the lunch to the courtroom, egg sandwich, Your Honour. <laughs> you might have to. I mean, get, getting off, getting off in a courtroom is quite brave, anyway. But <laughs> before or after lunch. <laughs> just the way to buy yourself off. You've got a speeding ticket, you've got to go and wank off a judge to get yourself off of it. <laughs> wanking off judges to get off. Do, like, do you reckon you have to do that with you, Cad, when you do the national anti doping panel? Is that is that how you get off? <laughs> it's like on the on the lease that they send you through it's like you should drink three points, a hundred pounds at the speeding course or and it's like, Ben's you know gonna what? get Ben's gonna get a six month ban because of <laughs> <laughs> that's what. That, that's why he's crying. That's why he cried in IFL. Like it dawned on him. Like, I'm gonna suck. I don't want to suck anymore. No, he's crying because he's crying because his eyes were watering. But on that, on that subject, right? Someone needs to clip. Someone. Someone needs to clip all the Conor Ben interviews in chronological order, right? And we need to just see that that, that sort of that sort of bravado and then the kind of w- when the penny drops and then the realism and then like kind of where we are now, right? <laughs> what do they call it? Like the grief cycle, like where you kind of just, he's, he's at acceptance now where he's like, I'm going to get banned, aren't I? Yeah, I'm going to get banned. Yeah, he's gone from anger to acceptance. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to get anger now. I'm banned now. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm screwed. Yeah. Um, okay, is Shalom a good average poor, poor, or poor promoter? This is from John Bailey. That's assuming he's the the decision maker. Just saying. Can please have a quick yeah. answer. Well, no, I think my major issue is we over the years we've taken um, we've taken Herm over the coals and back again. But what we can't deny is that he's changed the way promotion happens in the UK, and you have to admire his like. His tenacity, his graft, his hours that he puts into it, and how he's willing to put himself front and center, sometimes to the detriment of boxers. Like, that's without question. But he is a focal piece to match room. Like, he's the conduit to everything else. My issue yeah. with Shalom is that he's the absolute polar opposite. And my guess would be that Sky have kind of realised Hearn was too powerful, he was too much of a personality, he was too front and centre, and then when he walked away, it left him with nothing. My guess would be they've kind of said to Shalom, you can't be that, because if you do that and you walk away, you also leave us with nothing. So it's almost like he works almost more like Al Heyman in the background, not front and centre, but I think that's to his, his detriment. And I think... Sky Sports boxing kind of um, the traction it gets suffers because he's not not front and centre like Hearn is. So it's weird. He's young. He's kind of, you know I don't know whether he's charismatic or not. I've interviewed him. I couldn't tell you whether he's charismatic or not. Like he's almost scared to be in a way. So here's what's interesting. The first real head to head we had was when when Hearn ribbed him about the the Bacoli Wilder thing, right? And I was intrigued to see how Shalom responded, how Ben would respond. 
And what I liked about Ben is he gave it no energy. And I looked and I went, he's a smart kid because he knows that Hearn thrives off the, the adversarial nature of promoter to promoter. And he must have seen what, what's happened to Ellaby. And Ben gave it no oxygen. And I said, maybe this kid's smarter than he looks. Because I said, okay. Because he doesn't. Like, if you notice, whenever they talk to him about Hearn, he gives Hearn no oxygen. And so it would just look yeah. like Hearn's punching down if he goes after Shalom. And I think that's really smart. And maybe he's buying himself some time to get credibility. No idea. But I like how he did that because a lot of people would have come, I mean, come out swinging against Hearn. And Hearn would have been like, yeah, got him. Got him, sucker. So I, no, no, so that's the one big thing I think he's done. Um, I think, and I don't want to put this as a Ben Shalom issue, I think talent acquisition at Sky has been poor. Um, when you sign guys like Nick Campbell and Steve Robinson to a televised platform, it shows you don't know what the hell you're doing. And it points to me that you've got managers and promoters in your ear and you haven't actually been to look at these guys with your own eyes. So that was the... That's a that's a big red flag at Sky for me. How are you actually identifying talent? Because it doesn't look like you're getting it right very often. Um, who is the next small hall fighter to transition to major promotion? <clears throat> no idea. Um. Okay. So I've been talking about Stanley Stannard for a while. If Stanley Stannard wins on May 27th as the B-side against... He's not against Pickford. He's against Lee Cutler, I think. Or is he against Pickford? He's against one of those two. He's against one of those two Bournemouth lads. If Stannard gets the win, then that will be uh, a massive elevation for him because I watched him when I commentated at Leicester. I thought he was really good. Um, lovely Southport, clean, crisp, can really work. Um couple more guys who I'd like to see crossover and these are sort of bigger ifs uh Jerome Stay Ready Campbell love the kid so I suppose it's giving because we we train in the same fitness gym regularly so I see Jerome a fair bit I really really like him now I've known him my knowledge of him predates that I remember him at the 2015 novices I thought he was class um had a bit of a stop start career become a family man he still wants to box I think he's still got good mileage in him um, if Steve could look after him, I think you could see Jerome on a on a televised card. And then the last guy, and here's the biggest mystery for me. Yusuf Kamari, right? And I'll tell you why. Because Sky do enough shows at Wembley, and like that's kind of Yusuf's home turf. He can move tickets for Wembley Arena. And I haven't seen him do that. The only person I've seen give him a gig at Wembley is Eddie, because Yusuf will... Is he still fighting Bellotti for the featherweight or super featherweight title? I don't know if he is. But I like Yusuf Kamari. I think Yusuf Kamari is a star. If someone were to invest in him, look after his career, I think Yusuf Kamari is a star. Um, good fighter. Good fighter. <laughs> smart guy. Looks the part. Um, entertains in the ring as well. He's got all of those attributes. So um, the most obvious one is Stanley Stannard. I'd put Brad Goldsmith in there as well, but he's not fighting anytime soon on TV. But I like Brad Goldsmith. I think he's class. Lee Eaton's got a kid called Brad Bethel, who I also think's class. Um, be interested to see what those kids do. But for me, it's standard because he's going to be fighting soon and Yusuf Kamari as well for the same reason. Um, Steve Horan asks, how many eggs can you eat in a day? Connor Ben style, which obviously you've covered Connor Ben, but how many eggs do you think you could actually 
eating one day. So I had a six egg omelette this morning before I did my squats. So I had six eggs. Um, I had a, one chicken quarter in there and then about 60 grams of some This morning? This yeah. like breakfast? Well, I just needed something to get me training because I, I was up watching the Canelo fight and I thought, well, I might as well just go and do the training right. now. Right, so at that point, it's like Dino version two. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. So, it was, it was six eggs. I feel I could have added another two and been okay. Nah, that, and I'm like, that would have been you for the day. Hmm? Would that have been you for the day? Did you not have fit any more eggs? No, nah, no, nah, I had a Tesco meal deal as well. And then I had some chicken and rice before I recorded it. I've got some pies in the oven now. So, you know what I mean, man? You know, no, but I, see, I reckon I could have a four egg on pretty easy and then for lunch I could have I could have a I don't know what, how I'd have a couple of eggs in my lunch but I reckon I could deal with that and then have an egg on top of a steak that night or something like that so I reckon my maximum tolerance for eggs would be about 7 or 8 eggs a day I could do 12 a day comfortably <laughs> comfortably um, but obviously with, with, with the amount of clomiphene and the clomiphene risk I'm trying to cut down my egg consumption just so I'm fully compliant what I like, though, is that you're documenting how many you could do right now. So if you failed a test in 12 months' time, at least you've got this to fall back upon. Yeah, and I can tell what you, I bought, I bought the eggs from Morrison's as well. £1.79. What kind of thing did was a GQ magazine feature six months before he failed a test about how he eats, and he never fucking mentioned eggs. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, not only that, but in the Piers Morgan interview, he said it wasn't down to eggs. He said, that's a WBC's excuse, not mine. <laughs> that's a WBC. You have made me an excuse, and I reject it. However, you've got to believe what they've said. I'm not using it yet, but if it gets that desperate, I'll use it, and then I'll apologise. What? Who? Did, didn't someone sit him down and go, mate, I will explain to you how anti-doping works, right? Right, they found it in you. You better have a damn good excuse. The easiest one we can use is eggs. So do not cross this off the list. Whatever you do, in whatever interview, do not cross this <clears> list. <throat> don't cross it off the list. Yeah, so Connor. I don't like eggs. Yeah, yeah. So I don't eat eggs. I hate eggs. It wasn't eggs that did it. It was lab contamination. And you know his lawyers are like, um, bad news. Connor's fucked up. Good news. We're gonna be able to bill him for another three months worth of work. Um, what else we got? Uh, what is the name of the division between welterweight and middleweight, and who has the best head move? Who has the best head movement in it? In LG. Uh, right, I'm going to say it's super welterweight, and the <clears throat> best head movement is Del G. <laughs> Comfortably, like Del might be pointing at something here. Yeah, yeah. Only only in semi-professional boxing, though. Not in professional, because they're not as good as semi-pro, because they can't hold down two jobs. Well, exactly. You know, and, and, and stylistically, semi-pro, far harder style, more closer to BKB than anything, which, you know, that's what real men do. <laughs> uh, David Lincoln asks, would you rather fight one Tyson Fury-sized Crawford, or uh, Terence Crawford, or three Terence Crawford-sized Tyson Furies? Well, one. Why would I want to fight any of anything? Yeah, one all day. But if I want to take a beat, let me take a beating from one. Yeah, I mean, like this, this, this is disproportionate. If you fight like a duck-sized horse or a horse-sized duck, and then you've got to add numbers in to make it 
like a legit choice, but like, would you rather take a beating from one big bloke or three big blokes? I guess, I don't know. Is Tyson Fury, although Tyson Fury would have, no, just the body, I don't know, whatever. Well, no, no, but like a, a Fury sized Crawford would be quite scary because there'd be no body fat, so that would just be all. Um, that would be like that's probably Joshua's dream, isn't it? That, isn't yeah, that what he's true. aiming for? Oh, who the fuck knows what he was aiming for? I don't think he knew at one point when he sort of stood up at that restaurant and started going, "Unity is is with together," and the, and the unity. It's like he was trying to transcend into some fucking spiritual plane or something instead of just concentrating on being a box. Andy, it's been worse ever since. I promise you, everything he said since then has been worse. Right? It's been shocking. I don't doubt it. And, and but it just it just it just bored me to bored me into submission in the end. And this is the Joshua paradox. And I keep you know, I say this repeatedly. If you follow Joshua on Snapchat, he's quite a funny guy. Yeah, you know, actually, you know, I quite like AJ on Snapchat because he's he's quite funny, quite sarcastic, quite witty. And then they stick a camera in front of him in a corporate setting, and it's all this. Me and my brothers have a a triangle, and in this triangle, it's Fury, Wilder, Usyk. And I just try and avoid all of them, but sadly I couldn't avoid Usyk. That's really what he talks about. <laughs> that triangle. And I'm like, mate, just just be a funny guy getting old women in, in a Lamborghini and chatting them up and all that sort of stuff that we like. Just that guy there would be a British that he'd be like Frank Bruno in the way that he'd be loved if he did that. But he mm. he overthinks everything. And this is what's becoming obvious, is that He's over-engineering his life and his career. And it's like, mate, yeah, you're a big lump. You're the heavyweight Amir Khan. We don't know what we're going to get when the bell rings. And we don't care. Yeah. As long as we get that, the heavyweight Amir Khan, we'll keep watching. Because we know there are going to be some as great as performances that, and some knockouts. That's it. As long as we get that and you start up your own fake tactics videos, then we're, we're up for it. Is that what you're saying? Or, or get your watch robbed. Or... You know, get caught taking drugs after you retire and still don't lose any brand equity. Do you know what I mean? Only Amir Khan could be like, yeah, I took drugs, but come on, man, I'm retired. Leave me alone. And you're like, okay, fair enough. I like his, his justification was like, uh, if I did take them, I mean, look at how bad my performance was. It didn't really help me, did it? <laughs> Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. But Amir Khan is like British. He's an institution. Just for the stupid shit he's done over the years, and yet we all just laugh it off. Like go back to the um, what's the um, uh, Bruce Jenner comment that he made about oh he's doing brilliant. He's a woman now, mate. <laughs> like there's so many things that he's done. There was a com- there was something somebody put up on Twitter the other day where. He was out shopping with his missus. He's going, ah, yeah, nah. We've, she dragged me out for the day. She doesn't look her best, but she'll do. He, <laughs> there's something to admire about that everyman quality, right? And and I think sometimes we over-engineer really simple things. Can you connect with the fans, yes or no? And to connect with the fans, you need a bit of vulnerability. They need to know that you get it wrong too. And that's when they connect with you. They go, oh, yeah, he gets it wrong too. Joshua's just scared to get it wrong, outside the ring and inside the ring. I completely agree. I interviewed yeah. Amir Khan 
pre the Kell Brook fight. And we'd set up this time through his PR company. We'd set up this time and day. And he was out flying out to um, go and train with Terence Crawford. And we set up this time and day. And he, when I logged on to the call, he was in the back of a taxi going to the airport. And uh, I think we booked in like half an hour. Was it a real taxi? Half an hour. It was a real taxi. AJ, the front. But we spent that half an hour. (laughs) I didn't even hit record. He was just asking me. He was such a personable person. He was asking me about my family, where do I live, my children. I said I live in Milton Keynes. He's like, I went to Milton Keynes. The Argos head office. I was shooting there. Da, da, da. Then he was asking me about my kids, and then we got, and then he was suddenly like, "Mate, I'm at the airport now. Um, when are we doing the interview?" I said, "Amy, this was meant to be the interview," and he went, "Oh shit, I'm really sorry, man. Like, can we rearrange it?" So <laughs> that's fine. But I just ended up having a half hour, like, personable conversation with Amir Khan, I all about that. my family, about teams, about what he does. Oh, I was gonna say like, where where do you live? Okay, what number? What number? What road? Perfect. Right. Do you have any any anti theft measures in your property? I'll tell you this. But he was talking to me, and like he was giving me his personal number. This was a, a different number, and he was like, after the fight, come up to my house in Bolton, come and see all my watches that I've got. And it was a thing about Ogemar PK watches at the time that we were kind of promoting. Um, but he was like, yeah, just come up and see all my watches. It, honestly, I've, it was like I'd known him for years, and he was such a, a character, such a person, that I thought, that's amazing. Absolutely amazing. For everything you've achieved, everything you've done, you cared about me in that moment, and that's why people love you. Anthony Joshua is like, yeah, the triangles, man. You've got to do the triangles and da-da-da. Nah, just yeah. show that Emmy Khan side, that vulnerability, that personal touch and people like I I do think that there's something to be said for the fact that the people in the media whether they like you or not how much of a hard time they give for certain things you know like Frank Lampard can't seem to win a point in the Premier League people he doesn't get as much crap as some other football managers do and and it's due to the fact that people like him yeah you know plain and simple like a lot of it's to do with how much you and if your experience is that Martin with him with Amir Khan then it's likely that there's plenty of journalists out there that have had similar, if not, you know, better experiences with Amir Khan. I think he's an absolutely solid bloke. So, no, I'm not going to write a really vociferous headline about him um, overseeing no, something. But it's a lesson for life, right? Andy, so here's an example. Andy, let's say you take your family out to, to the hungry horse, right? And, what, what, I mean, you've got a way to there. And waiter just dotes on you like, how are you? Oh, how old? How old's your kid? Okay, yeah. How long you guys been together? Oh, that's brilliant. You know, me and my partner, man, we're just about to have a kid. You know, they build that rapport with you. So if he spills yeah. your your chicken and sweet corn soup over you, you're less likely to kick off. Do you see what I mean? Whereas if he's just there, like, yeah, here's your soup, mate. You'll be like, mate, you're a bit of a dick. And if he spills the soup on you, <laughs> it's a problem. And so there's a whole psychology yeah. about. If people like you, they will forgive things that they wouldn't in other circumstances. 
Uh, we have run out of questions. That is the, that is the end of the question. Oh no, there's one more actually. What happened to Johnny Fleshlight? That is from uh, I think it's Riku. Is it lead? Is he lead? Yeah, right? yeah, he is. Yeah, Riku. Well, Johnny Fleshlight's yeah. also happened? playing golf in the sun, Riku. You know what I mean, don't don't be out here pretending like you're you're at home just chilling. You know, we know what you're doing. So that's where Johnny Fleshlight <laughs> is right now. He's getting his shaft out too. That was a lot. That was a lot of fun, Johnny Flesh. Like to, to, but mine was writing like scripts that were taking taking quite a while to get through, and the editing was taking me. Well, I remember one episode took me fifteen hours one week to edit down, um, and I know that that was due to my lack of skill of editing and the software I was using to skill. Yeah, but why, why, why didn't you just improv? Uh, we did quite a lot. Yeah, honestly, I'll tell you what, those scripts were funny. I, I used to cry laughing reading mine scripts, some of the things. And that Erection Bills episode, I still go back and listen to that because I think it is fucking brilliant. It's so funny. <laughs> it makes me laugh. We had various people that were on Twitter. Same as you were saying earlier, Terry, about like, people's opinions. Um, I didn't give a fuck, but I still wouldn't give a fuck. I liked it, man. I liked like, the fact that you guys had the balls to, to push it in a different direction. And I'm always going to applaud people who say, hey, let's just have a fucking go, man. Nice and simple. It's the same yeah. way that I quite like the pitch boxing thing as well, because I'm like, let's people having a go. I like Andy doing the, the kind of, I don't even know what you call it, like American melancholy rock, because he's having a go. <laughs> and, mate, when are you, when are you, when are you in Bista next? When are you in Bistolet? Don't pretend you were there. No, I, I no. I asked a very simple question, Andy. When are you in Bistolet next? <laughs> I didn't ask when you were last in there. Like, when are you there next? Um, they really put Yeah, twenty sixth of August. Right. So I'm gonna message Angela if I can if I can get her out for a drink in the Bell on the 26th of August. You'll see me there, okay? Who's, who's uh, Angela? Angela's a girl I used to know like way back in the day. Like we've known each other a long time, and like we've been. You know when you message people back and forth, like let's just grab a drink, man. Just you know what I mean it's been a while, and like th- this might give me a reason. So I'll message her. You you know what I'm like, man. Yeah, like, yeah. I'll send you graphic evidence of well. what we're talking about. But yeah, yeah, we'll. We'll get it cracking, but I'll come to the bar. Andy, can I come over and group you? I want to meet Angela. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we, this is what struck me. We never, the whole time we were podcasting, we never sort of said, you know, get in touch if you listen and you're from Milton Keynes. I don't think we did anyway. Did, we, did anyone ever get in touch if there were listeners in Milton Keynes? Because I don't remember that. <clears throat> no, but Linus came uh, down. No. Linus came down for when we went to Pink. And Linus, Linus came down from Martin's Fort. He's Lutonian. Linus is Linus one of my favourite human beings, man. Uh... I really like him. Yeah, like, I was, like always ups- I was always upset when he fought Denzel because I really, like, you all know I love Denzel and I love Linus. I think they're two great guys and you could throw money behind those guys and they'd deliver for you. Like, I, I think they're stars. No, I agree completely on both. But I'm dying for piss. Can we wrap this up? Yeah, yep. let's wrap it up. 
far as I'm concerned. Everyone down to the Bell uh, in Bicester on the 26th of August. Is that uh, a bank holiday? And if, yeah, uh, it precedes the bank holiday, I believe. Bell okay, cool. So I'll do, do the car- do carnival on Monday after. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I can yeah, do it that. Does, it does, uh, it's the Saturday night and then the bank holidays on Monday. So, yeah, everyone get down there. And if there's enough people doing an impromptu live show, why not? You know what I mean? Yeah, I'll, I'll, be, no, I'll be there, man. I'll show some support, man. I'll be there. Do you want me to sing? Because oh, I know I know you don't always, you know what I mean, cut it. So I can sing if you want. Yeah, well, that's what I need. I need you to, your dulcet tones to, to, to Mate, you know. This, I can yeah, sing. Terry, if you Obviously, can't cut it, I'll meet Andrew. I can't even cut you it. You've got to be able to handle that, throat. though, Martin, man. Like, uh, you should know me, man. Like, when I select them, they're, they're, they are formidable. Yeah, no, I've been out of the game for a good 10 years now, so no, count me out. Yeah, hip, hip dysplasia um, and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> Tony Thompson. <laughs> you need a new hip. Um, yeah, if I can't cut it, Terry, doing my, as you call it, melancholy American rock. <laughs> but we've got beers in June, right? Is it June or July? Have we? I can't remember. One or the other. Right, listen. It's June or July, guys listening. If you want to join us, we're going to do it in MK because I feel like I can avoid scandal in MK, right? So if you're you're around and you want to grab a Juice Bigelow, hey, you know where we'll be. The 7th of July. What they should do is get in touch with us on Twitter and then if there's enough people, find somewhere that... So we're not going to... There's not going to yeah, be Friday, people turn up. Yeah. Nah, let the whole, let everyone right. turn up, man. Hey, remember, listen, remember how messed up we got at Oktoberfest? Yeah. I still, yeah, I still get that. a message from that chick, Andrea, the, the one that came and cleared up our mess. God bless her. She's like, you still in London? <laughs> I'm like, hey, all day, every day, man. I'm like, Mayweather, I'm always here. Yeah, right, I'm for all right, all right, let's wrap it up. Jen, I love you. You take care. All right, chap. Speak yeah, soon. Indeed. Take care. Yes, thank you, listeners. I hope you enjoyed this very messy podcast. All right, right see you later, chap. Take care, bye. guys. Bye. I'm off to the Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, man, I'm going to keep it moving real quick. And thank everyone for listening in this far. Um, they won't hear this until I till they tune in. So those two guys are the reason I'm in the podcast game. They're the reason I elevated myself in the podcast game. They're the reason why I know a lot of you guys as well. And I really respect probably all of you, man, because you've followed this journey what, about seven years in. It's absolutely insane. And I alluded to it earlier. What we did with New Age is I think we were that first outlet that said, in a very civilized and articulate way, let's see if we can start challenging the system, start kicking at it. And we had people running scared. Guys like Coog and guys like Eddie. We had them running scared because all of a sudden they said, these aren't outsiders just kicking lumps out of us. These are people who hear everything. How do we control them? The answer is we don't. And that's why they never talk about us. That's why they never try to give us the oxygen because they knew if our movement grew, it would hold them accountable far more often than they wanted to. So 
I'm always grateful for what those guys gave me. I'm always grateful for what we were able to achieve collectively. These things don't just happen by accident. You know, so many people pick up podcasts. So many people spend money on studios. So many people build a YouTube presence and you look at their profile and it's 100 views, it's 65 views here, there. Sometimes you get three people together who can just bring it home. And I'll always love those guys. They'll always be a big part of my life. And I'm grateful that we get to connect every so often. And like I said earlier, man, if you're around in July and you fancy grabbing a juice or two, that's where we'll be. If you don't, that's cool because we'll still have a memorable night together. But guys, thanks for tuning in. Enjoy your bank holiday or the rest of your week whenever you decide to listen to this. And as always, take care.